Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and today I'm here with my buddy Scott Tudor as we continue our March Madness Wrestling Bracket Challenge. And today we're breaking down the heavyweights from the 80s and 90s to determine who was the best of the singles wrestlers during this period. So we're going to be debating guys like Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter, The Big Show, Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and more. So Scott, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Ben. Thanks again for having me. Uh, I can't say how much how excited I am for this one. It's just as exciting, if not more, than the previous episode with the tag team breakdown. Yeah, and you know, even filling out this bracket, um, it was a lot of hard work because when you look at the talent that was in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of talent. And we have guys, obviously, from WWF in here, NWA. I try to include several guys from AWA, um, the world-class era, uh, CWA with Jerry Lawler, or uh, well, Jerry Lawler was not in this one, but um, just to kind of give the the setting for this, we're focusing on the heavyweights today. So, like I mentioned, we got the bigger guys in here. So, your stars like Ric Flair, uh, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Jerry Lawler, Kerry Von Erich, they're not in this bracket. Uh, they're going to be in the the middleweight bracket that we're actually going to be airing next week. So, we're definitely going to be debating that. But for today, we're focusing on the heavyweights. So let me just give you how we did the breakdown. We're using the same format they use for the NCAA basketball tournament. we got a 64-man uh, bracket, and it's broken into four. So let me read off the number one seeds. In the first bracket, Hulk Hogan is the number one seed. In my second bracket, The Undertaker is the number one seed. And Stone Cold Steve Austin is the number one seed in the third bracket. And in my fourth bracket, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, is the number one seed. The number two seeds in each bracket are Andre the Giant, paired up with Hulk Hogan. Um, The the Rock is paired up with The Undertaker. Bruiser Brody is paired up with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Stan Hansen is the number two seed in the bracket with Dusty Rhodes. And after that, I'm I'm still following the the normal seeding like you'd have a 5-12, 4-13 matchup for the NCAA tournament. But really, I'm just focusing on matches that I would really like to see. So just because someone's maybe a a, a 5 seed as opposed to a 3 seed, I kind of think that guy's a little bit better, but I'm not, you know, set in stone on it. I'm going more for the matchups. So let me read off the matchups so that the people listening at home can kind of keep track here. Our first matchup is going to be Hulk Hogan as the number one seed versus the Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant as the 16th seed. Next in that bracket, I've got Earthquake versus Crusher Jerry Blackwell in an 8-9 matchup. The 5-12 matchup is Wahoo McDaniel versus Ivan Koloff. The 4-13 matchup is Goldberg versus Hercules. The 6-11 matchup is Sergeant Slaughter versus Nikolai Volkov. The 3-14 seed is John Cena versus Ken Shamrock. The 7-10 matchup is Yokozuna versus King Kong Bundy. And the 2-15 matchup in um, the bracket with Hulk Hogan is Andre the Giant versus Abdullah the Butcher. The next bracket with Undertaker is Undertaker versus Big John Studd in a 1-16 matchup. In my 8-9 matchup, I've got Kane versus The Big Show. My 5-12 matchup is Terry Bam Bam Gordy versus Dr. Death Steve Williams. The 4-13 matchup is Ultimate Warrior versus Nikola, or Nikita Koloff. 
The 6-11 matchup is uh, Scott Steiner versus Davey Boy Smith. The 3-14 matchup is Vader versus superstar Billy Graham. The 7-10 matchup is Vader versus... Uh, super, I'm sorry. The 3-14 matchup, as I mentioned, was Vader versus superstar Billy Graham. The 7-10 matchup is Kevin Nash versus Sid Vicious. And the 2-15 matchup is The Rock versus Bam Bam Bigelow. The uh, next bracket was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, have Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Rugged Ronnie Garvin uh, in the one sixteen matchup. My eight nine matchup is Ron Simmons versus Butch Reed in a battle of uh, former Doom tag team partners. The five twelve matchup is a Magnificent Morocco versus Haku, or for the WCW fans known as Ming. The four thirteen matchup is Triple H versus Brutus Beefcake. The six eleven matchup is Blackjack Mulligan versus JBL. The 314 matchup is Terry Funk versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. The 710 matchup is uh, Big Boss Man versus One Man Gang. And the 215 matchup is Bruiser Brody versus The Great Kabuki. And the final bracket, headed by Dusty Rhodes, starts off with Dusty Rhodes versus The Godfather in a 116 matchup. An 8 9 matchup that whew, this this is a probably one of the best 8 9 matchups we've, we've got right here. Probably the best one Magnum TA versus DDP. Uh, that that's a tough one. That's that's a main event match right there. That would be hard for me to call. Yeah, the five twelve matchup is Goldust versus Kamala. The four thirteen matchup is Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, Mankind, whatever you want to call him, uh, versus the Sandman out of ECW. The six eleven matchup is Booker T versus Junkyard Dog. The three fourteen matchup is Harley Race versus Ken Patera. Uh, the eight nine matchup is Barry Windham versus Lex Luger, which I'm I'm sorry, that's the seven ten matchup. And the, um, which, boy, that's a tough one right there, too. I've been debating that for like a week. And the 215 matchup is Stan Hansen versus Dirty Dick Slater. So, let's get things started with Hulk Hogan versus Jimmy Valiant. Scott, what's your take on this matchup? I think this one's a pretty, pretty flat, easy one. Uh, Hulk Hogan by, by a long shot. Not even a, not even a contest. I, I agree. I mean, Hulk's definitely going to go over in this matchup. But I will say, I think it'd be a fun matchup because Jimmy Valiant with the whole boogie woogie man thing, he was a he was a funny guy, a funny character. So I think they'd have a lot of fun. I think this would be a good match for like the the little kids and especially like a good '80s match that Vince McMahon liked to put together in those mid '80s. So I'll I'll make a comment here. I'm not sure that this matchup did not happen sometime in the memphis era because hogan did do a memphis run and and as you know jimmy boogie woogie man was was big in memphis i'm not sure that didn't happen in the late 70s early 80s it probably did i mean because valiant was around for a long time but the bottom line is i just don't think you can not have hulk hogan going over here i mean one of the true icons in the world of professional wrestling um you know he he made it pop even bigger when he came over to WWF from AWA. So I think Absolutely. he's I think he's definitely gonna give the Boogie Wiggy man the big boot to the face and the big leg drop for the one, two, three. Absolutely. No question. So fun match though. You are right on that. The kids would have loved it back in the early eighties. I would have loved it. Yeah. So Hogan moves on. So our next matchup is Earthquake versus Crusher Jerry Blackwell in a battle of some very large men. So um Talk a little bit about um, these two guys and your experience watching them in the in the eighties and nineties. So Big John Tenta, which is the Earthquake. I got first of all, I'm going to say he goes over 
on Jerry Crusher Blackwell. However, uh, I loved them both. I loved watching these these two guys go. Uh, Crusher Blackwell, I think, was underrated from what he brought to the ring and and the storytelling and the the uh, feuds that he was involved in. Uh, but Big John, I think, see the th- the problem with this or the issue with this, as you and I discussed, is there's so many variables that go into these these judgments or these ratings. And, you know, how do you look at it? You know, you got to go with your heart. You got to go with your gut. You go with who made more money, who who made a bigger name for themselves. And really, Earthquake at one time was a main event guy at the top of the top. So, I mean, as you know, he did major uh, storylines with Hogan. He, ma- he did a major storyline with Ultimate Warrior at one time. He came over to WCW. He was a main eventer there for a while, uh, et cetera. So... Uh, Big John Tenta, I think, uh, or Earthquake, as you can call him, or I think he become Shark later or, or something like that in WCW. But, uh, hey, the guy was a whole lot more athletic than he looked. Uh, he did not get the credit he deserved for his athleticism to be a 400-pound guy. Uh, he goes over. And supposedly from all the podcasts and shoot videos I've uh, listened to, he was a pretty temperamental guy <laughs> in the background. So uh, I think he was a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this. Uh, I did like Jer- Jerry Blackwell in the AWA era. Uh, I thought he was, you know, he was a good wrestler. He was only like 5'9 or 5'10 and I mean 400 pounds. So um, right. he was a good wrestler. I thought he was just more regional. I felt that uh, Earthquake being a big star in the early 90s in WWF, um, he had that more national uh, Push. He, I thought his matches with Hogan were good, considering Hogan liked the big guys, uh, and also I, I would agree with Earthquake going over here. So we'll advance him past Crusher Jerry Blackwell. Next, we have a, a five twelve matchup of Wahoo McDaniel versus Ivan Koloff in a matchup of guys who really, if you go back to the seventies, they were like major major stars. Um, when we got into the eighties, you know, still stars, um, definitely through the the mid eighties. Uh, Wahoo McDaniel, you hear these stories about, you know, he was as tough as nails and just, I mean, Ric Flair has uh, praised Wahoo as one of the most professional, toughest guys he's ever been in the ring with, as well as others. And Ivan Koloff was so instrumental um, in, the, in the Russians with, um, you know, in the NWA and those battles with the Horsemen and, and Dusty Rhodes and just a, an overall really solid wrestler. So what's your take on, take on this matchup? Well, this one is definitely old school. Uh, I loved these two guys back in the early to mid eighties. You know, Ivan, we kind of left him out in the previous episode talking about tag teams. He and Nikita were an awesome tag team as the Russians. And there is just so much history here. And I know these two guys cross paths multiple times throughout their careers. Uh, I have to go with Wahoo on this one just from the tradition and from all the legacy and from the, uh, you know, popularity and and things like that and the praise that other uh, wrestlers gave him. I just got to go with Wahoo on this, but I think it's a great matchup and it's a good old school NWA battle. Yeah, I think think it's a good matchup. Um, I do go with Wahoo. I think he, uh, you know, he held more gold in that period. He was a, a big draw in that um, mid-Atlantic area with um, Jim Crockett Promotions and had some legendary battles. So I'd go with Wahoo here as well. So we're going to move Wahoo McDaniel along. All right, next matchup, 
in the battle of two powerhouses who were limited in the ring but like to yell and make a big entrance. <laughs> Goldberg versus Hercules. What's your take up on this uh, matchup? So, if you could take 1996-97 Goldberg versus 1986-87 Hercules, this would be a good match. Uh, and that's how I'm portraying it in my mind. Hercules, to me, was always undersold. I always loved him as a kid, even even as a heel. I thought he made a great heel, and I never thought that he got the push that he deserved. I thought that he could have been a whole lot uh, bigger name if, if they would have just gave him the opportunity or, or pushed him along in the storylines more. Uh, with that being said, though, Goldberg was just such a phenomenal athlete and had the crowd in the palm of his hands and made a ton of money in the short time that he wrestled, you know, uh, excluding this, uh, the you know, the last several years comeback that he's made. I'm talking about his main run that he had from mid-90s to early 2000s. I, I've, I've got to go with Goldberg, but I just want to make sure everybody understands that Hercules was undersold and should have had a bigger, a little bit bigger push than he had in his career. I really liked Hercules. I agree. I mean, I think Goldberg goes over here just because of the fact of in the late 90s, he was such a phenomenon in the streak, even though it was kind of odd how the numbers ended up tallying up. I think he ended up going 173-0 and before before his first loss. But, I mean, he came in, and he was the WCW version of Stone Cold. Um, limited in the ring, for sure. Um, but, man, he came out with a house of fire. He had the, um, you know, the energy with the fireworks and the smoke and all that. And who's next in the spear? Um, he really, you know, kept WCW relevant in that period as, as the face to go against the NWO. Um, you know, he had Sting and Lex Luger there, but they were getting a little bit older, and Goldberg was kind of something new and fresh. Um, I agree with you on Hercules, though. I I think his look was too good for them to not push more in WWF, and I don't know why. I really liked his matchups with Billy Jack Haynes and the Full Nelson. Yeah. Um, I didn't really like him with Paul Roma. It was it was just kind of weird, and I don't know if um, Hercules didn't get the push. I can't remember how good he was on the mic. I don't think he was great, but I don't think he was terrible. But he was a big, strong guy, big, strong powerhouse, and, I mean, I think he should have had a better run. But anyway, he didn't, and we're going with Goldberg over Hercules here. So next matchup, we got the, the Patriot and the Turncoat. And... <laughs> And honestly, that applies to both of these characters. Sergeant Slaughter versus Nikolai Volkov. Sergeant Slaughter originally was, you know, a heel character. Then he all of a sudden became super popular as the American Patriot and G.I. Joe character. Then you had the hated Russian Nikolai Volkov, who did an excellent um, rendition of the Russian national anthem, much to the fans' displeasure. But then all of a sudden, Nikolai turns, and he becomes a fan favorite at some point in his career. But I think it would be a really fun match, a really good match. I thought both of these guys were good big men who could move. Uh, what's your take on this? So this match was always fun. I, I loved this match in the early to mid-'80s, and this match happened at least a 1,000 times, in, at least in the WWF it did. And, of course, as a kid, you always pulled for the good old U.S. of A, Sergeant Slaughter. But the fun part about this, I've, I've got a history with this a little bit, is as I started becoming a teenager and was still a wrestling fan, I started really, really appreciating the heels. And we touched on this a little bit in, in one of the early, early episodes of our, our uh, podcast. But 
uh, <laughs> I actually loved Slaughter as the heel when he became the Iraq sympathizer because the, he just got so much heat. And uh, I actually went to a couple of live matches over in Evansville, Indiana at Robert Stadium. Shout out to uh, back home area for some of us. And uh, me and a, a couple of my friends would cheer for Sergeant Slaughter and j just to get the crowd fired up and, and make people mad at us. And it was hilarious, man. So uh, for this matchup, I'm going with the Sarge, but it is a classic. I love both characters. They both did well, and they both, both uh, played their parts. Slaughter had big-time success in AWA after he left WWF. Uh, you know, I, I just always liked the character of Slaughter, whether he was a heel or a good guy. You know, it was interesting with Sergeant Slaughter in, like, 84. He was he was second only to Hulk Hogan as far as popularity in the WWF, and he ended up leaving and going to AWA. And I, I don't know why. Um, I think there was some, like, that they wanted him to maybe take a – I don't know if it was that he just didn't like the fact he was being second fiddle to Hogan or, or what, but it was kind of odd that he left WWF at that time while being so popular. And then when he went to AWA, I mean, he was still a big, he, um, you know, with the title and stuff over there, a challenger for the title, but just not the same exposure that he had at that time when WWF was just really starting to blow up. So, um, but he was a, a great wrestler, you know, had numerous championships. Um, I mean, the AWA, he um, he had championships there. He was a, a, also a great tag team wrestler, like we mentioned last week with Don Cronodal in battles with um, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. Um, that that run he had with Hogan as a heel in the 91 was was a, a big thing. So he, he's a major, major star in the world of professional wrestling. And Nikolai, I agree that Sergeant Slaughter goes over in this match, but Nikolai was a very important heel in the mid '80s, because he helped with the Iron Sheik. This whole in the it was it was important to have a Russian heel. You know, you had in the NWA Nikolai uh, or um, the Koloffs with uh, Ivan and Nikita and Crusher Khrushchev. I mean, Nikolai was that hated heel that could go against Hogan, or he could go against um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, or whoever the the Patriot fan favorite was, and he was good in the ring. And you always hear these good stories about how good of a guy Nikolai Volkov was, too. That's exactly right. And I think he was instrumental as a heel, as you said, with with Iron Sheik. I mean, let's just take it back to when we were kids. These guys were in the cartoon, right? They were in Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. How, it doesn't get any bigger than that. So, I mean, they were they were stable heels, a staple as a heel, and they were household names. You right. can't go wrong with Nikolai. Yeah, but in this case, we're going with Sergeant Slaughter in the, the matchup against Nikolai Volkov. Our next yeah. matchup, this, this is a really great matchup. John Cena versus Ken Shamrock. Now, I'm, I'll am i be the first to admit, I'm not the biggest John Cena fan as far as his character. I, I was never into the, the white rapper character, but um, you got to give the guy credit. He's got a great body, as does Ken Shamrock. He's been around, he can talk. Um, he's good at getting emotions from the fans one way or the other. He's kind of like a Roman Reigns where they're, he's supposed to be the face, but then a lot of people hate him. But he's been a, a staple for WWE for many years. Um, a lot of his matches against uh, AJ Styles that I saw when AJ Styles came over to WWE, they were really good. Um, Flair has praised John Cena repeatedly. Um, I think he's a 16-time champion, which I hope, I hope they don't let him get a title to – 
to eclipse Ric Flair. But um, he he's a, a great talent. And Ken Shamrock, you know, was a, a huge USC star, great body. Um, but my take on this, I'm going with John Cena. What's your take on this matchup? Yeah, I have to agree. Now, if we're talking about a street fight or a submission hold fight or, or something like that, Ken Shamrock goes over by far. I agree. But, but we're talking about, you know, the world of professional wrestling and the popularity and the storytelling and, and all that. John Cena goes over uh, pretty well in a in a tough fought match here. I mean, these guys both worked hard. Uh, they both lived in the gym. I mean, they both had a million-dollar look. Uh, I think in the ring it would have been a great, you know, great fight, great battle. Uh, and, you know, John Cena, I'm with you on the whole thug life or word life uh, character and things like that. I mean, I think it was a good start for him to come out as a heel and then turn face uh, later. But, you know, I, love him or hate him, John Cena carried the company for a decade. I mean, I, love him or hate him. He was always in and around that main event status in all the major pay-per-views uh headlined wrestlemania the one wrestlemania i went to he was the main event against the miz with uh the rock interfering which led to their matchup the next year so uh i mean cena to give credit where credit's due i mean he he's the man or was the man they've kind of phased him out a little bit now which that's you know to be expected uh he's in his early 40s and he's doing a lot of hollywood stuff now so yeah. It's time to let, let the younger guys step up. But, yeah, Cena goes over here, but I think that would have been a good matchup back in the day. What was your take on Ken Shamrock as a wrestler making that transition from MMA? I thought that it was a good gimmick. They called him the most dangerous man uh, on the planet, and, you know, there was a spark of truth to that. I mean, there were guys in, in MMA that could handle him, but uh, he was very successful in, in, in MMA as well just a tough all around guy and very skilled in the octagon as well as in the ring. So he kind of goes over like Dan Severn to me. I was a huge Dan Severn fan, but, uh, I was more of a Dan Severn fan in MMA than I was in wrestling, but he, you know, he crossed over both. And I think Severn actually held the title in NWA for a while. So I, I think it was a good move for both of them. And of course they both made good money doing it. So, I thought they were a good fit for the Attitude Era as well. I mean, they had the great look and, and intensity, but um, I just think Cena overall. I mean, when you're talking about you know top wrestlers of all time, John Cena is there, whether you whether you like him or not. So right. we're moving John Cena in over uh, Ken Shamrock, and now going from two guys who had million dollar bodies to two guys who did not have million dollar bodies. We're going a matchup of Yokozuna versus King Kong Bundy. <laughs> so. What's your take on this matchup? So, as a kid, this would have been one that I loved because uh, I used to love the big guys. Uh, and as this one's tough for me because my heart wants King Kong Bundy to go over. But unfortunately, I think with the popularity and, and the main event status and things like that, I think Yokozuna goes over. But I am a huge fan of the walking condominium, God rest his soul. I loved him. He was one of my favorite heels as a kid. I loved seeing him and Hogan fight. Uh, and I loved to hate him when, when Stud and, and Bundy would team up on Andre the Giant or Hogan and uh, and beat him up like after the match and things like that. So he brought a lot of good heat, uh, especially to guys our age uh, back in the early to mid-80s. And Bundy has a lot of history too. I mean, he, he was an AWA guy for a little while and I think he may have even done a tour of duty in uh, Memphis, and I, 
uh, think that he even went to uh, AWA. World class. Yeah, uh, was it world class? Well, he was in that um, 82 retirement match against Fritz, Fritz von Erich, but he was in world class for a little while. Gotcha. And for the people that don't know, look up King Kong Bundy with hair, because for a time in his early career, he actually had hair. And it's just so funny to see him, because all I ever knew was hit the big bald cranium and, you know, Gorilla Monsoon calling him the walking condominium. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like King Kong Bundy. Um, the only reason why, I mean, I like him better than Yokozuna. But Absolutely. to your point, I, I think we go with Yokozuna here because Yokozuna was a title holder. But, yep. you know, King Kong Bundy, and, and honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know in the match. I was actually watching WrestleMania 1 this week, and uh, King Kong Bundy was in the, the match with SD Jones and beat him in. Allegedly nine seconds, which is the longest nine seconds I've ever seen. I think is more like eighteen. But you right. know, he had the the avalanche and the push for the five count. But he was really good on interviews as well. And well, uh, let's give him credit too. WrestleMania two, Bundy main evented against Hogan in the cage, and and I like that match even to this day. I think it still holds up. Uh, a lot of people always dog Hogan about his skill and all that, but I I think for a big fight feel. And a lead up, you know, with a feud to a main event, Bundy broke Hogan's ribs with the help of Don Morocco and John Studd and and all that. And, you know, that was prior to the, the match. And I, I think the lead up to the match was great. And, of course, Bundy had the main man in his corner, Bobby the Brain Heenan. So mm-hmm. you couldn't go wrong as a heel. What was your take on Yoko Zuna? Yoko Zuna, I was never a huge fan, uh, but he did draw a lot of heat. Uh, they put, they had the belt on him. Uh, you know, he was a good, good, bad guy. And for lack of a better term or lack of a better statement, really to me, Yokozuna was kind of the nineties model of King Kong Bundy. Really. I mean, if you think about it, because Bundy was kind of past his prime once the nineties hit and they were looking for that big guy heel and Yokozuna fit the bill. And you know, he could move around pretty good for a big guy. I did see Yokozuna perform live. Uh, and and he was decent in the ring. Yeah, he got up to over 600 pounds at one point. I think he was like 660. I mean, it, I was researching for this podcast about him, and I mean, it was just amazing how big he was. But I'm going to make an executive decision here. I'm going to go with King Kong Bundy and move him along because I just like him better. I thought he was a better heel as far as better on the mic. And the fact that King Kong Bundy is not in the WWE Hall of Fame, I, I think is a mistake. So I think... I, I don't think either one of these guys are going to win in the second round, but I'd like to give King Kong Bundy a little bit of respect on our end, so I'm going to move him along over Yokozuna. And I will not argue. I will not argue that at all. I like Bundy over over him. Plus, he made an episode, uh, an appearance on Married with Children as a as a member of the Bundy family with Al Bundy. So. <laughs> yeah, yes, he and he was that. a stand-up comedian. So. Right. So I'm going to move King Kong Bundy along here. And um, we continue with the 215 matchup of Andre the Giant versus Abdullah the Butcher. Wow. I mean, this is like a this is a major matchup. I mean, two guys, very physical. Uh, of course, Andre's eighth winner of the world. Um, you know, really set the stage of what big men could do. And just a huge, huge draw. Um, Abdullah the Butcher is one of the most violent performers ever. Uh, was no uh, stranger to to being bloodied up in his matches. So what's your take on um, Andre the Giant versus Abdullah Butcher in some matches that have happened in the past? 
I think this is a dream match. I love both characters, uh, especially Andre in the uh, early years, earlier years. Uh, you know, a lot of people only know Andre from like the mid to late 80s, but they need to go back and uh, YouTube or go on the network or whatever and look up Andre in his younger years. Andre was an athlete. People people don't realize that, that, you know, aren't historians such as you and I. And uh, I... Andre goes over here, but this is a great matchup. It's a it's a bloody matchup. Abdullah gets a piece of Andre. Whoever Abdullah's manager was at the time, I think he had multiple managers throughout his career, and it depended on what uh, territory he was in. But uh, Andre comes out with some color on this one. He, he's bloody, and uh, it, it's a good matchup. But Andre goes over. He was just an international superstar. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in all reality, if the, a lot of their matchups ended up in double disqualifications. Right, but um, you know, Abdullah the Butcher, he was a guy kind of like Bruiser Brody that we'll get into uh, talking about a little bit later. I mean, he was never in a, a territory too long. He was more of a novelty act to come in for a few months and then move along. Um, but he was around for a long, long time, drew a lot of money. Uh, but I don't think he goes over Andre the Giant. So we're moving Andre along. So that completes the first round of this bracket. We're going to our next bracket, which is going to start with the Undertaker. And uh, got a matchup of two big guys, uh, Undertaker versus Big John Stud. Scott, what's your uh, take on this matchup? Well, obviously, Taker goes over Big John Stud here, but Big John Stud was one of my favorite heels. Again, in the early 80s, he and Bundy were a great tag team. Uh, They were good uh, bruisers uh, for Bobby Heenan. They were part of the famous Heenan family, uh, especially when Heenan was at the top of his game and had the the, – most power behind him he had about a good eight or nine guys i believe but and uh, had some top names in there uh but big john was just not near the athlete as undertaker undertaker was also a big guy i think undertaker may have even been taller than uh big john stud you know and big john early in his career against andre was billed as a giant and it was always giant versus giant you know and he was the only guy that they could really match up with Andre at the time in WWF that could really put, you know, kind of size him up a little bit. But uh, Undertaker goes over here fairly easily. But if you got Bobby Heenan in the corner, then there's going to be interference and, you know, things like that. So classic matchup, but Undertaker goes over. I, I agree that Undertaker goes over. Um, I, I think it'd be a good match, though, because. You know, Big John Studd and The Undertaker, well, I think Undertaker's 6'9", Big John Studd 6'10". Um, the Undertaker, though, when, when he start, when he came to WW, um, well, I, I liked him when he was in NWA as Mean Mark Callis, but, you know, he just, um, I thought that was a good matchup with him the Skyscrapers, and I liked it when he was a singles guy, but he really got his big push in WWE. Um, I liked it that he was paired up with Paul Bear, Percy Pringle, um, I think, you know, in listening to The Undertaker, he was always a student of wrestling. He actually got his training. He started out as a basketball player and then decided to get into wrestling and had Buzz Sawyer train, training him in Houston. Of course, Buzz Sawyer ended up stiffing him uh, for right. a lot of – well, not a lot of money, but for a you know decent amount of money. But the fact of The Undertaker walking the ropes and putting those moves on at 6'9", 6'10", um, I just thought – and he's – you know, been such a huge star for so long. I thought he was good in the ring. Obviously, you know, in his 50s now, he slowed down. Um, you know, Big John Studd did not have that 
athleticism. But I think it'd be a really good match because I always felt with Big John Stud in his matches with Andre. I mean, Andre at that time was getting older and really just couldn't do much in the ring other than his headbutts and his kicks and punches. I mean, and slams. But I mean, you couldn't really get a good match up there as far as technical and and obviously Big John Studs got to sell for Andre. He's not going to go right. over Andre. But I think in a matchup with The Undertaker, they could have a really good match. It'd be fun and entertaining. I think The Undertaker would go over um, Big John Stud. But I agree with you that Big John Stud was a, a really good wrestler. I think he's, in a way, kind of underappreciated because his role was to sell to Andre and to Hogan. But um, Undertaker is one of the greatest of all time. So he's going to go over in this match. So this next matchup, it, this is a wild one right here. Our 8-9 matchup is Kane versus The Big Show. Two huge guys, two guys who've really drawn in their career. Um, and some guys you may say, well, maybe did they underachieve in a way? I don't know that I would say that with Kane, but I think you can say that with The Big Show as far as booking. Um, what's your take on the matchup of Kane versus Big Show? So Kane versus Big Show is, I mean, as you know, this has happened. Uh, this is a big matchup. Both guys, you know, have, have done their time. They both have made their way. Uh, I'm a huge Big Show fan, but I'll say that with this, Big Show, to me, was better as the giant in WCW, and he was able to showcase his athleticism a whole lot more over there. He come to WWF or WWE, he kind of put on some weight. Of course, he was getting a little older. He wasn't getting the push that he should have got. Uh things like that. So, you know, popularity wise and, and push wise, Kane goes over, uh, in this matchup, but it's a great matchup. I, I mean, you could pull the whole double disqualification here and I wouldn't be mad, but, uh, overall, I think Kane goes over just from a career popularity standpoint and Hey, he's the mayor of Knox County. I can't, I can't, uh, put him down for that. So I, you, you put Kane over in this matchup. I, I agree. I remember, um, I was actually at the match when Kane um, debuted in WWF. It was Hell in the Cell in St. Louis. And it was a, a match, I think it was Undertaker and Shawn Michaels in a Hell in the Cell match, a classic match. And all of a sudden the lights went out and the it, the red lights came on and this guy comes and just rips the door off the cage and comes in and you know tomb, tombstones the Undertaker and Shawn Michaels um, goes over. And, uh, I mean, Kane was a major, major force. And I like the fact that he he could move. He was basically like a perfect uh, copy of The Undertaker. And I did like Big Show better as the giant in um, WCW, like you said. I felt with Big Show, even now, you know, I I felt his matches with Braun Strowman should have been better. Um, I, I felt Big Show was kind of asked to sell to some guys that I just felt it was kind of hard to believe based on his physical size. Um, I mean, he's been around for a long time, but I, I think he should have really been more dominant in his career. So I agree with Kane going over in this match. Yeah, Big Show, I mean, let, let's just touch on that for a minute uh, a little more. I think that uh, he should have had the fabled tale that Andre had, honestly, because Big Show was just as big but, you know, Andre's height of his popularity, he was very limited in the ring and very, you know, had a lot of ailments and a lot of issues. And Big Show, 
you know, he was still very athletic and, and was very able to go in the ring and able to do a lot of stuff. I feel like, you know, I, I agree a hundred percent that, uh, big show is just an earlier version of what Braun Strowman's going through right now. Cause I feel Braun should, should be a whole lot more popular and be getting a whole lot more of a push than he is. Uh, again, I, you know, I I'll say it, but, uh, Kane should go over, but in my mind and in my heart, big show should be, should be in that spot. But, uh, for business purposes, Kane, Kane wins it. Yeah. All right. Next matchup, uh, battle of, uh, Two powerhouses and former tag team partners, Terry Bam Bam Gordy versus Dr. Death Steve Williams. I think this would be a fantastic matchup. There'd be a lot of heavy brawling. I think it'd be a lot of fun. What's your assessment of this match? I'm really upset with you for making me pick <laughs> on this one because these are two of my old school favorites. I love them. These guys were dynamite as a tag team. And of course, if anybody listens to our previous episode, they're going to pick up on that. We These guys were an awesome tag team. Uh, I just love their characters, man. Both of them have a great history. It, it's hard for me, man, and I know you're not going to uh, like this one, and we're, we're going to have to argue this one, but I think Dr. Death edges out Terry Gordy in a singles competition. Now, if you put teams together, any other team that Dr. Death is with versus Terry Gordy and the Freebirds, Dr. Death loses, but... In a singles matchup, I'm I'm going Doctor Death. That's a fair assessment. Um, and honestly, I, I I'm a huge Terry Gordy fan, so my vote would be for Terry Gordy. But you know, I was really thinking about this last night because um, I really was. I mean, like these matchups with Terry Gordy and Doctor Death, and um, like Lex Luger and Barry Windham, and you know some of these others. I, I love Terry Gordy. I think he's one of the best big guys. I thought. Um, in the 80s and early 90s, he was he was dominant. He was good on the mic. I mean, he was never what Michael Hayes was on the mic. But right. if I think you're exactly right in the assessment that for a singles bracket, I think Dr. Death goes over just because Terry Gordy was really more of a tag team guy. Right. And uh, But I love Terry Gordy. Um, I mean, he is one of my absolute favorites. But I think... You know, he was always featured more as a, a tag guy. If he was a singles guy, he would be the guy who would come in and, you know, he'd have the matchup with a, a Dr. Death or a, a, a Luger, one of the mid-card guys. He only had one um, major singles title as far as the big, um, the bigger territories. He was UWF champion, um, the first UWF champion in 1986, but, you know, never a singles title in WWF or NWA or World Class. Um, Dr. Death did have those titles. So I don't have a problem with going with Dr. Death here. Yeah, I, I'll say it again. This one pains me because those two are together in the first match is just tough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Well, it's, it's some of these matchups that, you know, the first round is tough because you just have so many good wrestlers in during this period. So we'll go with Dr. Death. Uh, and his, you know, his career was a little bit longer than Terry's. Um, you know, unfortunately, Terry had that that overdose in Japan in 1993. And if that had not happened, I mean, I've heard stories where they were bringing Terry to probably be the guy to kind of succeed to Hulk Hogan over in, in WWF. And of course, when that happened, he, you know, he was in a coma for a while and his, um, you know, brain functions weren't the same. He didn't have the same charisma. They did bring him back in 96 as executioner, um, really as a favor to Michael Hayes, because they said Terry, you know, kind of needed a, 
um, some help at that time because, I mean, he wasn't doing the big Japan things and stuff like that. And so Vince McMahon wanted to put him in the executioner role with a mask because they just weren't sure how it was going to go over with Terry. And, you know, he had a, a, a great history and a great reputation as Terry Bam Bam Gordy, and if things didn't go well, they didn't want people to think of him badly. So that's why they put the mask on him as executioner. But, you know, Jim Ross on his podcast was talking about with Terry that his stay in WWF wasn't very long because with the travel that those guys were doing and stuff, it was just he would get confused, and it, it was really sad. And so I, I really hate that because I, I just absolutely love Terry Bam Bam Gordy. And I know some of our listeners may disagree with this pick, but just know that your two panelists here, I mean, we could go either way, but since we're do, doing a singles bracket, um, I think Dr. Death is the right pick to go over. So next matchup. Ultimate Warrior versus Nikita Koloff in a four thirteen matchup. What's your take on the Ultimate Warrior? <laughs> oh God, my heart is Nikita Koloff. I love Nikita as a as a heel. I loved him when he made the face turn in the late eighties, uh, and he was he tagged up with Dusty, and you know his feuds with Sting and Great Muda, and man, I could go on and on. Uh, Ultimate Warrior. When he came out, I was a fan. I'll admit it. I was a huge fan. Uh, he had a huge pop with the crowd. And keep in mind, this is WWF Ultimate Warrior. I didn't discover the uh, WCCW like we talked about until ESPN started airing the old episodes. And I saw Dingo Warrior. But, you know, it depends on what we're going for here. If we're going for big money and, you know, he held the title in the biggest uh grand stage of them all and and things like that ultimate warrior goes over but man it hurts me because i'm a huge nikita fan yeah well you don't have to worry about ultimate warrior going over because i'm not going to let that happen i'm going nikita all the way um (laughs) i i was not a fan of the ultimate warrior at all um i mean he had a great body he had great energy running in um with his ropes his skill level was not good at all i mean he reminds me of goldberg um they're there just on the look. Um, the Ultimate Warrior's promos were horrible. Um, he was pushed mainly because of his look. Um, you hear all the stories about how he was so difficult and things like that. I, I was also a big Rick Rude fan, so I, I despised the Ultimate Warrior. I did not think that Rick Rude should, should have to go over uh, to lose to the Ultimate Warrior. Um and the thing is, is when they put the belt on him and trying to make him the successor to Hulk Hogan in the early 90s, he didn't draw like they were wanting. I mean, so they had to put the ba- belt back on Hogan because Ultimate Warrior wasn't drawing, which I thought was a surprise. But he was just so limited in the ring. And I was researching Nikita again just to prep for this. In the mid-90s or the mid-80s, Nikita was so awesome. He came in as very, very raw. He got into his uh, the wrestling start because he was friends with Road Warrior Animal uh, up right. in Minnesota, and they got him in. And you know, he they put him with uh, Ivan Koloff because Ivan could help him train, and he and Don Cronoda were good on the mic, and so just let Nikita get experience. But man, when he became the Russian Nightmare um, and that that uh, Russian Sickle and those battles with Magnum TA. Um, and Dusty Rhodes, they were just fantastic. And then when Magnum TA got hurt, you know, I mean, and Nikita was a regular holder of that U.S. title and had great matches with Flair for the, the world championship. 
uh, when he became face, when Magnum got hurt. I mean, he's super popular. And only, really, his push kind of ended in 1988 when his wife at the time got sick and he took time away to to, to uh, be with her and stuff. And then, you know, his run was short because he just kind of wanted to get out of the business. But, I mean, to me, Nikita Koloff is three to one better than Ultimate Warrior. So I, I'm, I'm voting for Nikita Koloff here. So I'm a Nikita Mark. You, you've made my heart happy on this one, but I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you on a statement that you made. You, you compared Goldberg to Ultimate Warrior. I honestly think Goldberg's character was more related to Nikita because they were both huge. If you go back and look at Nikita in the prime of his career, man, this guy was a beast in the weight room. I mean, he was just huge, massive guy. Right. And he was one of the few guys that could square up with the road warriors and go toe to toe with them. Go back and look at the Russians versus the road warriors and, and Nikita would get in there and mix it up with Hawk. And I, I always love seeing those two guys mix it up, man. They, it was just such, such a good matchup from a strength and size uh, characteristic. But Nikita was the first bald guy with a goatee with black tights. I think Stone Cold's look and Goldberg's look was derived from a Nikita Koloff uh, look, honestly, quite honestly. Now, their characteristics were different uh, in the uh, in the ring, obviously, and things like that. But I think just as a pure look, if you look at their how they their character looks and, and things like that, that I think they derive straight from Nikita. Yeah, that that's a good point. I guess my comment with Goldberg um, reminded me of Ultimate Warrior was that I mean Ultimate Warrior basically had a, a couple of moves. He, he runs into the ring and sprints, and he's, you know, shaking the ropes. He's going to do some clotheslines. He's going to, um, you know, power press somebody, throw them down, and then he's going to have his, um, his his splash, his warrior splash. And his matches were short, like five minutes. If you, if you keep him in the ring very long, he gets exposed. So, and that's what reminded me of Goldberg, um, especially now. But I agree with you on the look, though. Yeah, Nikita... And Goldberg are definitely a more similar look, but I was just thinking that, you know, if you're booking a Goldberg or an Ultimate Warrior, you got to book to their strengths, and their strengths are high energy and power for a short period of time. That's true. So now let's let's make sure we cover this with our listeners. This a lot of these matchups. It depends on where it takes place, what federation it takes place in, what time per- period that it takes place in, and things like that. Because I've got some friends from back home that would be willing to fight over this one. <laughs> what the, it, they, lo- they loved Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, well, I guess in fairness, I mean, I like WWF and NWA, WCW, but I just felt that Nikita Koloff, I mean, he was power, speed. He was good technically. Uh, that's why he those matches with him and Ric Flair were so good. I mean, he could, he could go technically with Ric Flair. So... I mean, the, the thing about it is, is Ultimate Warrior was super popular, and it's very surprising to me that he didn't draw better as the champion because, I mean, he had a tremendous pop when that music hit and he ran out. I mean, I, I just remember the arena consistently erupting. So Agreed. I thought that was kind of weird, but I I just think Nikita Koloff is, is better than the Ultimate Warrior. Hey, you made my heart happy. I'm good with it. All right, so we may have... Tick some people off by uh, not picking Terry Gordy and Ultimate Warrior, but, well, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> Next matchup, um, th- this is a tough one right here. It's some Two guys that are just absolute powerhouses. 
that started out in tag team wrestling and became accomplished singles wrestlers, and that's Davy Boy Smith versus Scott Steiner. Wow, this is this is quite a matchup here. What, what's your take on this matchup? Because I know you're a big Scott Steiner fan. Huge Scott Steiner fan, but I was also a huge British Bulldog fan mm-hmm. in the early to mid-80s. Uh, loved him as a tag team and loved it when Davey Boy made his comeback, and he was huge. You could tell that the guy spent a lot of time in the gym and really, really worked on his look and his character. Uh, and I, lo- I liked Davey Boy when he came over to WCW there for a short period, too. He came over there as the British Bulldog, and, hey, you know, he did well. Uh, I just think athletically – Scott Steiner surpasses him. I, I I can't argue with Scott Steiner being the two-time NCAA All-American, and, and that's legit wrestling. And he brought a lot of that to the ring uh, in WCW. Uh, and, and I love the – in the beginning, I love the big Papa Pump turn. I love that character at the beginning. I think it kind of got old a few years into it. Uh but at the very beginning, I thought it was a good heel turn, and it was a good surprise for everybody, and uh, it was a good move for his singles career. So it, Scott Steiner goes over for me here. I love both these guys. I could see it going either way, but athletically, I think Scott Steiner does circles around Davy Boy. I, I agree. I think it would be a good matchup, um, definitely a power matchup, but I just felt that Scott Steiner was, um, before, before he got so big that he couldn't do – the moves. I mean, when he was doing like the Frankensteiner and um, so many of those suplexes and stuff. I mean, he was just uh, almost your perfect wrestler as far as look, uh, body. He was decent on the promo, not great, decent. Um, you know, Davy Boy Smith was kind of the same way as far as not great on the promo, uh, um, but very, very solid. But I agree with you. I, I would go with Scott Steiner here over Davy Boy Smith. Even though Rodney, my bulldog, is upset that we're not going with a bulldog, but I, I just think I think Scott Steiner overall was uh, was just a, a better wrestler. Please pass along my apologies to Rodney. <laughs> yeah, he, he's over here taking a nap, so I guess he's not that upset. Okay, uh, next matchup: three versus fourteen. Um, Vader versus Superstar Billy Graham. Um, before we get into this, you know, some people may say, you know, Superstar Billy Graham is a, at a fourteen seed. Why so low? Um, at the beginning of the podcast, I did mention that you know in some of these rank, <clears throat> excuse me, some of these rankings, um, I don't really worry about the match the the matchup number here, but I put Billy Graham at a lower seed because I thought it'd be a really good matchup with Vader. And second, when I started watching Superstar Billy Graham, it was when he was in the WWF, like in the mid '80s, and he was toward the end of his career. He had a lot of injuries with. Um, that he was dealing with, so he was not the superstar Billy Graham of the 70s. So in my evaluation of this Billy Graham, I'm going on the, the Billy Graham in the 80s. Um, so in my matchup of this, I I just thought at that time, superstar Billy Graham, he was at the end of his career, really didn't br- do anything for me in the 80s. I thought Vader was awesome. Um, obviously a huge star in WCW, multiple-time champion, um, great star, in um in Japan, his WWF run wasn't as good as I thought. Um, you know, you hear all these stories about how stiff and how tough Vader was. I mean, they're like you come out of a match with Vader and you you've been in a war. But this guy was big, but he could move. I mean, he would do the moonsault off of the um, the top rope. I just thought he was a great star, great looking wrestling. So my vote here would be for Vader. What do you say? 
So I'm going to reiterate uh, a little bit about what you said, but I want to take everybody back to the beginning of this podcast. We talked about this bracket being the 80s and 90s. So to your point, Ben, uh, Billy Graham in the 80s was not the Billy Graham of the 70s. Now, if we were talking about the 70s, I think this might go a whole different route. But let's keep in mind, uh, I, I'm just trying to keep the wrestling purists at bay here because mm-hmm. and, and make sure they understand our boundaries. Uh, we are going with 80s and 90s. But uh, let's take late 80s, early 90s Vader, like Japan and uh, early WCW Vader. This guy was a was a complete monster. And there was nobody in wrestling that could stop him at the time, in my opinion. He come out, yeah, he was heavy, and some people could say he was fat, but if you looked at his arms and shoulders and chest and neck, he was complete solid. And the dude could move, and he was a 400-pound guy that could do a 30-minute match. I mean, his matches were not short. I mean, if you watched him and Stan Hansen, there's a couple of old WCW matches uh, of him and Stan Hansen going at it that, that I mean it, it looks like a street fight and those guys are just going toe to toe neck and neck and just some of the roughest stiffest matches I've ever seen and there's even a story about uh, Stan Hansen knocking Vader's eye out yeah and, I was just thinking that and Vader popping it back in this was in Japan I believe but uh, they carried that on over to WCW I mean these guys killed each other and and Vader was like that with all of them and, and as much of a Hulk Hogan mark as I am, uh, there's a lot of stories out there that Hulk, when he first went to WCW, wouldn't uh, wrestle Vader because he was afraid he would get hurt. So if that tells mm-hmm. you anything, because Hulk took on some of the biggest, nastiest guys in the business. But uh, with, with that being said, uh, I could go on and on, but Vader goes over here from an 80s Billy Graham perspective because this is when Billy Graham's career was coming to an end, as you said, a lot of our guys our age will probably remember when he started managing Don The Rock Morocco when mm-hmm. The Rock uh, took a face turn and really was spending some time in the gym. You could tell he was spending time with Billy Graham because Morocco got huge during this time in the mid to late 80s and uh, all that. But, yes, Vader goes over here leaps and bounds. All right, so we move Vader along. Interesting matchup in the 7-10 bracket with uh, Kevin Nash versus Sid Vicious. In a way, I'm kind of struggling with this match because I, I was never a big Kevin Nash fan. I I thought he was good. I thought you know a big guy who was mobile. Um, but I I really liked Sid Vicious. Uh, I, but I kind of felt Sid Vicious was a guy who underachieved as a wrestler. I mean, Sid Vicious had a million dollar look. The intensity was good. Um, I felt his tag team with um, Dan Spivey and the Skyscrapers should have been better. But yet it seemed like. Every time Sid was gonna, you know, get to the top of the mountain, I mean, he was a he did have the WWF title a few times and WCW title, but he was very injury prone and he would get like major injuries too. Like I think he had a broken rib that punctured a lung that caused him to be out with the skyscrapers, and that's why they brought in um, uh, the Undertaker's Mean Mark Callis. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm kind of conflicted here. Uh, what's your take on this matchup? So you and I are cut from the same cloth on a lot of these, man, because I never was a huge Kevin Nash fan. I thought that he was overpushed, uh, overhyped. Uh, you know, the storyline of the Outsiders was definitely his claim to fame to me. 
and I thought he carried that well. Uh, you know, ushering in the NWO, which in my opinion, and I've said it on the podcast a couple times, NWO is what really truly ushered in the Attitude Era. And they forced WWF to do what they were doing and made WWF a whole lot better than what they were at the time. But with that being said, this is another example of if you go with money and you go with draw and things like that, I think, you know, this goes right back up to the Ultimate Warrior Nikita Koloff thing. My heart goes with Sid Vicious. No questions asked. I loved Sid. Thought he was a great big guy. But if you watch and listen to shoot videos and things like that, they were trying to make Sid the next Hogan in WWF, and Sid refused it. I don't know if you've heard this or not. No, I didn't hear that. Several wrestlers talked about it, and Vince tried his best to convince Sid to carry the company and and be the next Hogan. And this was like around the 93-94 era when Hogan kind of bowed out and, and took a break from wrestling as a whole and uh, uh, was off for a year, maybe two years, and then all of a sudden, you know, he showed up in WCW. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the wrestlers are talking about Sid. They were, the company was trying to put the strap on Sid and make him carry the company and be the next Hogan, and Sid basically was like, no, I want to be a heel. I, w- I want to continue being a heel. This is the story I want to be in, and et cetera. So he was very stubborn. So in that respect, it's almost like I've got to go with Kevin Nash but my heart for a character actually goes with Sid. So that, <laughs> I'm torn here, man. I, it's hard for me to call this one. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I will say this, Sid Vicious, I mean, he has to be a heel. I mean, he, he can't be a baby face. His look is 100% heel. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing with Nash is, I mean, what he did with the NWO is obviously very critical and stuff, but I don't know. I just was not a big fan of his and, in WCW, um, I mean, very talented, but he was so, like, lackadaisical, and um, it seemed to me, and, you know, he wasn't like Sid that had just this energy to come in and, and dominate like that. It was like, he seemed just kind of like a, a chill, laid-back, kind of a cocky guy, and I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Sid's not in the WWE Hall of Fame, whereas Nash is with the Outsiders. I mean, Nash... I don't. I think I'm gonna go with Sid in this. I, I just I can't get over Kevin Nash for some reason, and um, I think I'm just gonna go with Sid because I really liked him as a character. Well, and to make you feel a little bit better, you brought up a point about Sid being uh, injury prone. Let's talk about Kevin Nash in the late '90s, early 2000s. Uh, you know, in the prime of of him doing what he was doing and changing the world of professional wrestling, which I'll give him credit. I'm giving Nash props. He did change the world of professional wrestling in 96 when NWO ushered in that new era. But for the point that you made as Sid being uh, injury prone, Kevin Nash had a lot of injuries too. He kept pulling quads off his knees. Uh, Every, every couple years he would do that. And I seen it happen uh, in a match in WWF a, a little later, I think it was maybe early 2000s once uh, WCW was purchased by WWF, but he had done it while he was in NWO, and it was just a, a uh, continuing thing in his career. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to so, move Sid Vicious along here. So maybe an upset for in some people's minds, but uh, we're moving on with Sid Vicious. And our final matchup in this bracket is The Rock versus Bam Bam Bigelow. 
obviously, The Rock is one of the, the greatest stars in the world of professional wrestling, great on the mic. Um, I'll be honest, though, I was not a big fan of The Rock. I, I was a big Stone Cold fan, I, so I was not a big fan of The Rock. I was not a big fan of The People's Elbow. Um, when he came in with the Nation of Domination, I, I was a big Ron Simmons fan or Farouk. So uh, that being said, The Rock can draw. The Rock can talk. Um, he's he's an athlete, so he was able to do a lot of good moves. Um, so he's obviously a big, big star. But Bam Bam Bigelow was one of these big guys who, you know, 375 pounds or so, but he could move. And he was a, he was a big force in WWE and WCW. So what's your take? And ECW too. So what's your take on this matchup? So I'm a huge huge bam bam bigelow fan uh thought he was awesome loved him in the triple threat in uh which was a group in ecw he was grouped up with uh shane douglas and uh chris candido they were a dominant force in a wrestling company that was just amazing uh i loved ecw at the time and we've discussed it many times in our our podcast uh, Bam Bam did well in WWF. I mean, he was in one of the first NES Nintendo WrestleMania games where he did the cartwheel. I think a lot of us remember that one. Right. And he, he was in one of the best Survivor Series, in my mind, that there were out there when he was on Hogan's team. And Bam Bam was the last guy standing against some big heavyweight guys like uh, One Man Gang and Andre. And I think, I can't remember who the other one was, but uh, Bam Bam held his own. With all that being said, The Rock, I don't think we can deny The Rock just from a popularity standpoint and from a wrestling lineage standpoint here. And I'm with you. Even though this is an unpopular opinion, I was never a huge Rock fan. He was good on the mic. He was athletic. But there was just something that didn't get over with me with The Rock. But he could go, and I think The Rock goes over Bam Bam in this one. I, I agree. Um, I think it'd be a good matchup, though, because, you know, I, I was just trying to think of big guys who could really go at it and move, and I, I really think this would be a fantastic matchup. And depending on where you're booking it and the time that you're booking it, maybe some booker puts Bam Bam Bigelow over, because if you think about the ECW times up in um, the Philadelphia area, I mean, Bam Bam was from that area. And I think if I was an ECW booker, I would probably put Bam Bam Bigelow over The Rock at that time in the early 90s. Now, once you get into the late 90s, I I don't know that you do because, you know, The Rock was really starting to to get into his groove. But I think it would be a really good matchup. And, and I think, too, both guys had the good personalities that they would sell for each other and really make a, a good match. Whereas I in agree. that matchup, I, I with, think it would be a fantastic matchup. Whereas in that matchup, Sid Vicious versus, versus Nash – I just don't know how good of a match that would be. Uh, I, I don't think it'd be as good as The Rock versus Bam Bam Bigelow. but Not even close. So, anyway, we're moving along with The Rock. So, that completes the second bracket. So, we are now about a little um, an hour in. We're going to keep going on with the bracket. But for our listeners, if you want to take a pause and um, pick up the second half of the bracket, now would be a good time and just hit pause on the podcast and join us in a few minutes. So, with that being said, we're now moving on to bracket three in the first round. We got Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Ronnie Garvin. And, uh, I mean, the, the pick here is obviously going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin, but before we get there, I do want to talk 
about the importance of Stone Cold Steve Austin, where he he started in as Stunning Steve in USWA. But I also want to talk about Ronnie Garvin because Ronnie Garvin was a really good wrestler, former NWA world champion uh, in 1987, tough as nails. And I think in a, in a real match, this would be a fantastic match. What's your, uh, what's your take on these two guys, Scott? Now, you've got it listed as Stone Cold, so apparently we're booking it in WWF in the mid to late 90s, like 96, yeah. 97. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing a bracket. We've got to do it as Stone Cold, but I think we can still talk about Austin in his way up because, I mean, the Stone Cold character is one of the most iconic wrestling characters of all time. And as I've said about some of these previous matches, I'm not sure that the Stunning Steve-Ronnie Garvin matchup never happened. That probably did happen somewhere. I mean, it may have been on uh, the mothership uh, at 605 uh, Eastern on Saturday night on WTBS, but I think that that matchup possibly happened at some point. And uh, Ronnie Garvin, for a lot, I think a lot of people listening to this may not know Ronnie Garvin or remember him, but he did have a WWF run too, uh, where he had a, a, a continuous battle with Greg the Hammer Valentine. They went back and forth, and I think it was the Battle of the Figure Four and and things like that. But Ronnie Garvin in NWA and WCW was dynamite. I loved watching him. He was tough as nails. They called him the Hands of Stone. Uh, I think this matchup is a tough matchup. I think it would be good because they're both rugged, and I, I think it would be uh, for all those that, that like the more uh, brawling street fighter type wrestling matches, this would be perfect for them. I agree. That's why and, I booked it. Yeah, and I, it's a good booking. I mean, it's, <laughs> this is a good matchup and one that I would pay to see. Stone Cold definitely goes over from a popularity standpoint and uh, all the accolades that he has and the success he had in WWF. But uh, I wouldn't undersell this match. This would be a main event match somewhere. Yeah. or I don't know if it'd be main event. I think it could definitely be like maybe next to last. But you got two guys in here who are really tough guys, so I think it'd be a good match. I think both guys would work with each other for the sales. I just think with Stone Cold, you know, when – and Austin was this guy, and we've talked about him several times on the podcast. As Stunning Steve, he was always a really good wrestler, but he was always like in the the U.S. championship level guy. He wasn't the main guy. He was a mid-card guy. And then when he was with Brian Pillman and the Hollywood Blondes, they were a really good tag team, but a very versatile wrestler, very good on the mic. Um, I think, you know, he had that blue-collar um, upbringing that made him relatable as a heel to a lot of people. But when he became Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that clicked, I mean, he just became—he was the guy that was the face of the Attitude Era, and he was the guy that basically led WWE to overtake WCW. And even to this day, when he appears on um, WWF, he still or WWE, he still gets a huge pop. I mean. You know, his career was cut short because he had that neck injury in a match with Owen Hart. But there was nobody bigger ever at that time than Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, I think it's an interesting discussion to have, and we may get there in this bracket challenge. You know, as popular as Hogan was in the in the mid-'80s and stuff, was he more popular? Was he bigger than Stone Cold? I mean, that's a fair debate to have because he was just that dominant. But um, I do think he goes over Ronnie Garvin, but I really think it'd be a good match. I, I'd love to see it. 
But uh, we'll move Stone Cold Steve Austin along over Ronnie Garvin. And for those that do not know Ronnie Garvin, I encourage you to go back and look up old YouTube videos or the network and look up Ronnie Garvin versus Flair, Ronnie Garvin versus Dusty Rhodes, etc. You you won't be disappointed. No, absolutely not. He he was great. Um, all right, our next matchup, um, battle of four, former tag team partners in Doom. We got Ron Simmons versus Hacksaw Butch Reed. This would be a, this would be a battle. This this would be one I. You talk about a battle with Stone Cold and Ronnie Garvin that you'd pay to see. I would pay to see um, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Now, they did battle after Doom broke up, but I love those matches. I mean, two physical powerhouse guys, great great look. Um, I, I think this is a fabulous matchup. What do you say? I This is another one that I, I'm upset with you for putting them in the bracket together in the first round. <laughs> well, I'm trying to have like – you know, a, a kind of a theme as to why I'm pairing someone in the first round, if I can. Right, right. I'm just I'm messing with you, but uh, this is a great, great matchup. This is a a bloody battle. I I love these two guys as a tag team. I thought Doom was very underrated. Uh, you know, they came out with a Woman uh, as their valet, and then they also come out with uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Teddy Long. Teddy Long and man, they they were awesome. I, I loved them as a tag team, but with them competing against each other, man, it, it's tough because Ron Simmons had uh, great success. He was a world champion in uh, WCW. Uh, he was the leader of the Nation of Domination in WWF. Butch Reed went on to the WWF and was the natural. I think Jimmy Hart was his uh, manager. I may be wrong there. It was it was Bobby it was. the Brain, I think. Was it Bobby the Brain? I thought it was Jimmy, but either way, he had a good run there. Uh, May have been Jimmy, uh, and and did well as the natural, <laughs> even though that was a funny gimmick. But uh, man, I I think I put Ron Simmons over here. But man, it's a it's a great great matchup. It could go either way. I agree with Ron Simmons. Uh, I'm a huge Ron Simmons fan. Um, I I really loved him as Doom, and, and he was a a really great tag team guy. Um, but he was a, a world champion. I liked his charisma. I thought he was good on the mic. Um, I really liked it when he paired up in the APA uh, with um, with Bradshaw. I didn't like his Farouk character as much. Um, I guess maybe I didn't like Ron Simmons without his mustache. But, but um, he was a really good wrestler, powerhouse. I mean, these two guys are very, very similar. But I'm going with Ron Simmons because he is a former... Um, champion and i thought he had a a better singles career as a top guy for longer but but butch reed i mean when you go to those mid-south era matches in memphis and stuff i mean he he was fantastic but uh, we'll move along ron simmons here in a second round matchup with stone cold which i think is going to be fantastic but we'll get to that in a minute all right our next matchup in the 512 matchup is a battle of two of the toughest guys i mean if you look at the this bracket here all of these matches are with guys who are just I mean, really, really tough guys in their wrestling persona. I mean, just real tough guys. You got the Magnificent Morocco versus Haku. And when I was growing up and first got into wrestling, and the Magnificent Morocco, he was really the main heel in WWF at that time because Piper hadn't come over. So he was the guy that would go against Bob Buckland and Jimmy Superfly Snuka and just a, a really good heel, good on the mic. 
And Haku is a guy that, I mean, you hear all these stories about the toughest men in wrestling, and Haku regularly is in that discussion as the guy that if you're in a bar fight, you want Haku on your side. So what, what's your take on the matchup with Haku and Morocco? This is another one, man, that could go either way uh, very easily, and it depends on what time uh, era that you're matching them up. That That's very crucial for this one. I think if it's in the late 80s, when Morocco took the face turn and uh, superstar Billy Graham was his manager, I think Morocco goes over. But if it's before that, when Morocco was a heel and Haku was uh, King Tonga or, or whatever his name was as a face, I think maybe Haku goes over at that time. And if you go in the early 90s, Morocco was kind of past his prime and Haku became Ming. And Ming was a force to be reckoned with in WCW. You had to go through him to get into the top tier. So, man, I, I don't know. Well, it's, take it's take your best tough. version of him. Take your best version of him. Because I think the I, best version of Morocco was in the early 80s when he was like the, he was former Intercontinental Champion. Um, I mean, he was good in the, the mid-80s and late-80s. But really after about 88 when he left WWF, I didn't hear from Morocco again. That was kind of it for him. That, but, that face turn and that, that like, two-year run as a face was kind of – I think he did some independent work and things like that, but after that, he was pretty much done. Yeah. Uh, for longevity purposes, I think you got to go with uh, Haku because I think his career – you know, he started out as King Tonga in the WWF with the Islanders, and then he went on through the 90s and was still relevant uh, until the early 2000s uh, in his tag team with uh, the Barbarian – so overall, I'm pushing Haku over Morocco, but in a in a tough one because I like both these guys. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with your pick on Haku. I mean, originally I was going to go with Morocco just because of the fact that he held the, the Intercontinental title, and he was a, he was a really big deal in the early '80s. But you know, when Hogan came in, I mean, Morocco kind of phased out. So when WrestleMania started, Morocco wasn't as one of the big guys like he had been in the past, but I think he was really good. But Haku, and the reason why I was going to pick Morocco as well, is Haku was never, like, he was never a world champion. I don't recall him. He was not an intercontinental champion. He was King Haku. He had that push. But he was right. always just this just good, steady, mid-card guy that you know, give you a good match and could put over a face. Um, a really good tag team wrestler. You know, we talked last week about the team of him and the barbarian was really tough but you know just a good solid guy so i don't have one way or the other but i guess i don't have a problem with haku going over here just because of the all the the urban legend stories you hear about how tough he was and how respected he was in the industry so i think kind of like we gave king kong bundy some respect in that matchup over yokozuna we'll pick haku over morocco for the same reason all right next matchup in two wrestlers i think are Kind of similar styles um, earlier in their career. Um, Triple H versus Brutus Beefcake. Two guys are about six foot four, about two seventy five. You know, good good physiques. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think it'd be a really good matchup. I mean, I think I think Triple H goes over in this match just because I think Triple H. If you look at the evolution of his career, it's pretty amazing um, from where he began and to where he ended up and to be the game i mean he was just a a really really good wrestler who could go many different styles 
Um, as he got paired up with Shawn Michaels and DX, he was really good on the mic. I mean, I, I liked him better than Shawn Michaels. Um, had a great look. Um, but I really liked Brutus Beefcake, too. You know, I loved him when he was paired up with Greg Valentine. I liked the Brutus the Barber character. But I think once he had that injury, because uh, they were going to push him to um, to be the Intercontinental Champion over um, uh, Mr. Perfect in 1990. I guess it was 1990, and then when he got hurt, they brought in Kerry Von Erich, and Kerry Von Erich, as Texas Tornado, took the Intercontinental title over Perfect. But they were planning on a big run with him because Brutus the Barber Beefcake was, he was over. He was a big fan favorite. But I think once he got into WCW, and I think he was the, the, the booty man and all kinds of different characters, it just wasn't quite the same. And, and, and Triple H has been a top guy for so long. Um that I, I just have to go with uh, Triple H here, even in the 90s, if you're just looking at Triple H's 90s career. What what do you say? So I, I agree with you. Triple H, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like him and say that, he, you know, he married the boss's daughter and things like that. But let's be honest, Triple H was already on the road to success, uh, major success before that ever, that storyline ever happened and that uh, ever became a, you know, reality. Uh, Triple H was instrumental in WWF taking back over from uh, WCW when they were kicking their butts from NWO, and Triple H and Shawn Michaels were DX. They were the the counter to NWO, and they were doing a great job. Uh, you know, with them teamed with Stone Cold and him being the hottest thing on two feet to take a quote out of his uh, repertoire there. Uh, mm-hmm. That they were instrumental in that uh, war, that Monday Night War. And that was all prior to Triple H, you know, getting with the boss's daughter and, and all that thing. So I know it made a lot of the boys in the back uh, mad and, and you know, there was a lot of jealousy there. But let, if you look at his career, be, let's be honest, he was already on fire before that. And uh, I'm with you. I was a much bigger Triple H fan than Shawn Michaels. I don't know what it was. A lot of people love Shawn Michaels. A lot of my friends are huge Shawn Michaels fans, but I just never – really got it i was always more of the triple h guy and uh <clears throat> so with that being said you know i'm gonna give brutus some of his uh props here you know he went from the dream team with greg valentine they were hot in the early 80s they had their feuds with the bulldogs and then brutus went his own way and when he became the barber man you could tell he really put work into his look he put on about 20 pounds of muscle he had a good look uh, he got heat. I've seen him perform live more than once uh, in in the WWF, and the crowd loved him, man. They were behind him, and you are absolutely correct. I think, what was it, a boat accident yeah, that he was in? Yeah, it was or? a boat accident. Yeah, and it messed him up, and he had to get all kinds of different surgery and things like that. But the WWF was pushing him. He, he was on the road to success. I'm, uh, I knew about the Intercontinental run, but if you sit back and think about it, what – what was to become later? Because if you think about it, take the boat accident away. He's the intercontinental champion. The ultimate warrior doesn't do as good as he, as they planned on him doing Hogan's out. Do they, do they possibly give Brutus a run? I mean, he, he could have been in the mix at that time. And as you know, in that businessman, timing is everything. So unfortunately for him, the, the timing just wasn't there. You know, so I, I think Brutus missed out because of the accident. I thought WCW was going to do more with him when uh, he came in and he turned on Hogan. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one. I mm-hmm. think it was in like 93, 94. 
but then they put him with uh, the Dungeon of Doom and made him the Zodiac and all that, and he just kind of got wrote off uh, in that one. But when he first turned on Hogan and Hogan uh, unmasked him and all that, I thought, hey, this is going to be a huge rivalry. They're going to really give Brutus his his run finally, and they never did. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, one thing I want to mention with Triple H that I don't think we've talked about on our podcast is the pairing with him and China. I thought that was a great pairing. I really liked um, China's character as – um, you know, this big powerhouse woman. I think they call her the ninth wonder of the world um, since Andre was the eighth wonder of the world. But talk about that pairing with um, Triple H in China. I thought it was a perfect pairing, as you said. Uh, they brought them in. Triple H was was a big guy, 6'4", muscular, good shape. Uh, one thing I like about Triple H, too, to kind of uh, go off the track here a little bit, is he's a huge, huge wrestling historian. He loves the history of wrestling and, and gives props to the, the, the guys that paved the way. And there's a lot of stories out there of him carrying Ricky, the dragon's uh, luggage and offering to do it. And, and like offering him his seat on the airplane when they were traveling and all kinds of things like that. And man, respect, it just goes a long way for me. And, you know, triple H's character doesn't necessarily show that, but triple H behind the scene does show that. And that's, that's what really matters. But with the with China, you know, she was a different animal when she came out, you know, and it, it was a good attraction there. And, you know, they were really in a relationship. Uh, and I thought they were a power couple for the time that they were together. And, hey, she was one of the first women to really pave the way where she was beating men up and participating in the Royal Rumble and, and things like that. So uh, props to China. I, I hate the way things ended up for her. Uh I think she got undersold during that whole deal, and it kind of hurt. I, I wish that she would have went on over to WCW and made a splash there, but uh, it never worked out. But uh, I, I did like that pairing, and I loved her and Triple H and DX. Yeah. Now, I just wanted to mention her because, I mean, Triple H and uh, China, I mean, for the 90s fans, I mean, that they were synonymous. I mean, you can't mention one without the other, really. Good point. So, all right, our next matchup, uh, battle of some blackjacks originally. Um, Blackjack Mulligan versus the JBL character, who is, of course, uh, Bradshaw. Um, what's your take on this matchup? Because it's kind of an odd matchup in a way because, I mean, re really, yeah, Rodney's not sure about this either. Blackjack Mulligan is one of the, the greatest wrestlers ever. And by that, I, I'm not saying he's in definitely like the top hundred or I mean great tag wrestler with Black Jack Lanza. Um was a big star in the seventies. Um, you know, big in the regional area with Jim Pro uh, Jim Crockett promotions and in Florida. Um and then really by the late and also the dad of Barry Wyndham and Kendall Wyndham. Um and you know it's kind of interesting that uh well and actually the grandfather of Bray Wyatt. Um yep. but um you know, he wasn't a WWF champion during the 80s, but yet JBL, he got started in the 90s, but was more of a tag guy, but he really got hot in the 2000s. So I guess for purposes of this, I mean, what's your what's your take on that? And we can think of them as at their, their best, because really JBL was a 2000 guy. Well, if we stick to the rules that we were talking about earlier and you go with the 80s and 90s, I think blackjack goes over, but if Mulligan. you, 
give JBL the props from his uh, top of his career, which which was in the early 2000s, which was when he was that rich uh, heel and he rode to the ring and the limousine and things like that. I think JBL goes over, but if we if we true stick true to the '80s and '90s singles uh, brackets here, I think Blackjack goes over just from his yeah. earlier accolades in the early '80s to mid '80s. Versus JBL was more of a tag team guy and didn't start really really getting that singles push until after the '90s, really. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I think um, I think in my evaluation, I still go with Blackjack Mulligan. Um, he was just such a dominant figure for so long and even in the 80s even though he wasn't necessarily a top guy he um he was always a top battler for rick flair a, you know a very important part of the wrestling in florida so i think i'd still go with blackjack mulligan over jbl here but i think it'd be a, a, a good matchup oh very good brawl these two these two guys would brawl it out it'd be a great great matchup but uh definitely blackjack over jbl for the time yep all right, next matchup, uh, Terry Funk versus Greg the Hammer Valentine, uh, two old-school guys here. Uh, what's your take on uh, these two guys? <laughs> this is one of those very, very interesting matchups that I, you know, upper mid-card that I would love to have seen. Uh, if you go with Greg Valentine's time, but see, that's this is kind of tricky because a lot of his NWA time was in the late 70s. So do you go with that or do you go with the Greg the Hammer that was in the 80s that Gorilla Monsoon always talked about it taking 20 to 30 minutes for him to warm up? <laughs> well, remember Greg Valentine in the early 80s? I mean, he was a major star in Mid-Atlantic with Jim Crockett Promotions. I mean, he had the dog collar match with Roddy Piper, which is one of the legendary matches of all time um, and I, I i could not remember if that was in the early 80s or the late 70s if you're calling that yeah. the early 80s then that that helps me make up my mind yeah he's really uh, um i mean he's he debuted in 78 but i mean really his notoriety started in the early 80s um i mean battles with flair and uh of course he had a good run in wwf as uh, intercontinental champion and great battles okay. with tito santana um yep. But, you know, by the end of the 80s, he was starting to fade fade away a little bit. Uh, he went to the uh, uh, NWA for WCW for a while. But um, I don't know, what, what was your take on Terry Funk? Because he was a guy who was a great wrestler in the 70s, you know, a former NWA world champion. I mean, when you see these rankings on greatest wrestlers ever, he's very high on the list. Um, but uh, great in ECW. I I really liked Terry Funk the best when he was in ECW. That's what I was going to bring up. I was never a huge Terry Funk fan in the 80s, except for when he was in the movie Roadhouse. I, lo I liked yeah. him in that movie. Yeah. But uh, honestly, quite honestly, I never cared for him until he made his resurgence in like 95, 94, 95 in ECW. And he was a stud over there, man. He was already older. I think the guy was all in his 50s. And was doing moonsaults, was fighting in barbed wire matches against the likes of the Sandman and Sabu. That the barbed wire match with him and uh, uh, the Sandman was just off the charts. I mean, these two guys were crazy, and it was a, just a good brawl. But uh, man, this one's a tough one. If if you take early '80s Valentine versus mid '90s Terry Funk, it, it's it's very tough to choose. But if you take overall career success and 
and uh, uh, what do you call it? They, you know, where they actually meant something to the business. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Greg Valentine goes over, but just by a little bit. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Well, I'll support it. We'll, we'll put Valentine over. I mean, honestly, when I was filling out the bracket, I thought I would go with Terry Funk. But then when I was watching some of his matches, like his matches with Hogan in the mid-'80s, I just really didn't think were that great. Um, I didn't think his matches with um, – and I watched a lot of his matches with Ric Flair and Sting, and it was kind of the same character where he was just like this disoriented guy. And But it wasn't – it was just – I don't know. It was just odd. I mean, he had a couple of tag matches with Terry Gordy that, but the wrestling was it was just brawling. And I mean, he was stumbling around, couldn't stay on his feet, which I guess that's a character he was going for. But I mean, his matches with um, Ric Flair. I know he had one that gets really high ratings as for a championship match, but I just didn't enjoy his matches like I did with Flair and Ricky Steamboat. Um, I, I really like Terry Funk and ECW, and that's really about it. As yeah, far as, it's hard to argue with his lineage, though. He's from the famous Funk family. I know, I know. But, but to me, I I think Greg Valentine goes over now. Greg Valentine of the late '80s, you know, once once he got past his uh, his prime and his push, no, thank you. But yeah. From early '80s through the mid '80s, I I just felt like he was more of a player. Yeah. Well, when he got paired with Honky Tonk Man and it was I, rhythm and blues, I mean that was. Not good, but at the end of the day, he's still getting a paycheck. I I thought he gave some good matches in WCW, but he was he was just a, a good solid mid card guy at that point. But um, I don't know. We may get some pushback on this. Um, you know, I know there are a lot of Terry Funk fans out there, but I'm just not a big Terry Funk fan. Um, unless you put him in an ECW match, and it's like you said with Sabu and um, the Sandman and and Cactus Jack. At that point, yep. I mean, I think if if I had a match with Terry Funk and Cactus Jack, that would be unbelievable. I would love yep. to see that. But I don't know. I mean, I'm just not a big Terry Funk fan, so I'll support your pick of Greg the Hammer Valentine. All right, next. I think, I think the dog collar match did it for me. That that one. Was, yeah, I uh, mean, infamous. Yeah, I mean, if you watch Greg the Hammer Valentine in those early '80s, I mean, he was he was really good. So we'll go with Greg the Hammer Valentine. All right, next matchup, we got Big Boss Man versus One Man Gang, former tag team partners. But uh, I think this is a really good matchup, and I think the Big Boss Man, in my opinion, is one of the more underrated big men in wrestling history. Um, first off, I thought he was very good as Big Bubba in the NWA. Absolutely. Um, and then when he came over to WWF and became the Big Boss Man, I mean, he just took it to another level. He was always good in promos. He could move. He was agile. Um, and even when he turned face, he was um, always a good with getting a reaction with the crowd. I thought he was a really good wrestler. I did like One Man Gang as well. Um, One Man Gang was a, a tremendous heel and world class and in the, the Mid-South area for many years. Um, and when he came to WWF, he was One Man Gang for a period of time. And then when he switched to Akeem, I didn't like that as well. But um, I, I would pick Big Boss Man here. What, what's your analysis? I feel like I have to agree, but I loved the one-man gang character. And just in the title of the name, think think about what that means. <laughs> yeah. And, and he pulled that off. I mean, he was a destroyer in uh, AWA. I think he did some time in WCCW. He, he was a very territory-oriented guy early on. 
And uh, Hogan absolutely loved working with this guy uh, when he came to WWF. They had some good good matchups. And the look for One Man Gang and everything like that, when he first came in, was just scary, man. This guy had the big ripped jean jacket, the mohawk. I mean, he looked like something out of a horror movie. Yeah, he was a great character. Yeah, but uh, I'm totally behind you 100% on uh, Big Boss Man or Ray Trailer or whatever you want to call him being underrated because the guy was an athlete for a big guy. He could go, and he had one of the best right hands, in my opinion, in the business. He was one of the first guys to use that little uh, smack-the-arm gimmick where it where it actually made a good sound when he threw the punch, and he made it believable, man. Uh, when I was a kid, I was like, man, it sounds like he's really hitting these guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I'm going to bring up, and this is, to me, one of the highlights of Big, big Bubba Rogers or – Big Boss Man's career, and really, truly, one of Hogan's uh, highlights. They had a cage match on Saturday night's main event, and I don't know if you recall this match or not, and this was so uncharacteristic for both of them. Hogan did a vertical suplex on Big Boss Man off of the top of the cage. I don't know if you've seen that or recall that. If you haven't, you need to go back and catch it because it's so uncharacteristic for either one of these guys to take that big of a risk. And uh, it's uncharacteristic for Vince to have let his uh, uh, money horse take that big of a risk back then. But uh, that was a great cage match, and that was a great feud. I actually seen one of the matches that they did across the country because, uh, you know, back then they did the same match every night across the country uh, during that feud. I seen it at Robert Stadium in Evansville, Indiana. When WWF first started coming over to Evansville, it was like a – I, we were all like kids in candy stores going to that those matchups, and it was Hogan versus Boss Man. I loved it. So yeah, Boss Man goes over. I know I'm I'm talking long on this, but yeah, he's one he's one of my favorite big guys. So I I just had to give him some extra pop. No, I agree, and I I really liked his um his um rivalry with Dusty Rhodes and WWF. I I just thought he was a really good heel, and I I really liked One Man Gang too. I I just didn't like it when he changed to Akeem because I thought. Really, one man gang should have had a, a push. But if you think about it, with these guys, if these guys were in WWF, let's say in the the late nineties or something, they probably would have been champions at some point. I mean, they were still in a time of WWF and, and a time of wrestling where you didn't really change the the heavyweight champion very long, let alone in the WWF with Hogan. So their right. job as a heel was to get Hogan over and, and to stay over. But one man gang right. was a a tremendous um, star in uh, Mid South and U- UWF. I mean, his battles with Hacksaw Jim Duggan were, and uh, Doctor Death Steve Williams were, were fantastic. He was the main heel there, so he was a big draw. And I, I was kind of disappointed with his run in WWF. Um, but you know, that's booking, not necessarily him. But uh, right. but I love Boss Man, so we're gonna have the Boss Man go over. And our final matchup of this bracket is Bruiser Brody versus the Great Kabuki. In um, a battle of two of the uh, iconic independent wrestlers who were definitely territory guys, and you know, I guess really Bruiser Brody was more of a staple in um, in world class from where I saw him. You know, uh, this great like caveman look. Um, you know, a great run in Japan with Stan Hansen as well as a singles wrestler. Um, you know, very successful wrestler. Uh, you always hear the reputation of him as being very difficult with bookers and uh so he never was a fit for wwf but then the great kabuki i mean growing up and you see this guy 
spraying this green green mist into the eyes of guys. You're like, oh my gosh, they're blinding this man. And he was with Gary Hart, who is one of the great managers of all time from a heel perspective. Um, I, I, I like both characters. Uh, what's your evaluation of this match and these two guys? So I love this matchup. If I'm not mistaken, this matchup actually happened in a couple of the territories. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely world-class. Yeah, that they crossed over. I'm with you, man. Great Kabuki. One of my favorite wrestlers was the great Muda, okay? Mm -hmm. And the great Kabuki, I discovered him before great Muda, so, you know, I, I that tells you a lot about how I felt about great Kabuki. He come in and would do the, the nunchuck display in the middle of the ring, and he could handle them and, and did very well. He was very mysterious. However, Bruiser Brody was just a wild maniac in the ring and just a crazy when i discovered him it was like nothing i'd ever seen i was used to the the good well choreographed matches of the wwf everything was kind of tame and <laughs> under control and i saw bruiser brody man it was like he was in there really fighting just out of control man and it was something that i really enjoyed because it was something new so with that being said i think i have to go with bruiser brody over great kabuki in this one I'm not a Bruiser Brody mark like a lot of people are. Uh, you know, I think he, he was good. Uh, I think it's a shame what happened to him. But like you said, he was has a history of being difficult with promoters and things like that So and not selling. I know there was a, a story of him and Luger going at it, and he did not sell for Luger, and the match was just terrible. So uh, that's kind of bad on Bruiser. He, to me, he doesn't make it far in this bracket, but he does go over great Kabuki. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Well, and I think in the booking of that match, he wouldn't let him, uh, the great Kabuki, go over him anyway. That was kind of making it difficult, you know, with promoters and stuff because it was like, you know, Bruiser was a draw in the 80s, and they're like, yeah, you know, we want to bring him into this territory or whatever, but he was very, very protective of his character. I mean, got kind of like a, you know, this wild card, but, I mean, he had the power to do that based on his character and drawing power, but... You know, it's just interesting because now you your wrestlers, I mean, they're routinely having to sell for other guys and put people over. And so it's just kind of a, a different time. But Bruiser Brody goes over Great Kabuki to finish out this bracket. So our next bracket um, in the first round, we're going to the Dusty Rhodes bracket. So we're going to start with Dusty Rhodes versus The Godfather. And uh, I love Dusty Rhodes. You know, I loved his gimmick of the son of the plumber hard times uh, one of the great creatives ever in the in in the history of wrestling uh i think much of the success in the 80s um goes to the credit of dusty Rhodes and his creativity he was good in the ring his his body wasn't that great but yet he appealed to uh you know the the regular joe and uh you know obviously a true legend in in the world of wrestling and the godfather I really liked his character. He was also Papa Shango and uh, was part of the Nation of Domination. But he was a big guy who was a really – I thought he was a really good wrestler. And I thought that Godfather thing went over very well and fit um, with the Attitude Era perfectly. So what's your take on Dusty and the Godfather? Well, just with the history and, and things like that and with uh, Dusty, it, you can't not put him over here. Right. But – but Godfather was good, man. Uh, he was super popular with that uh, gimmick. I liked him as Papa Shango. A lot of people didn't care for that gimmick as much. I liked it because he got over on the Warrior a couple times. <laughs> and uh, uh, I liked that. 
I, I like the Godfather when he was called the Soul Taker in, in Memphis wrestling. A lot of people may not remember that, mm-hmm. but he did do a tour of duty where he was called the Soul Taker, and he was a big, bad dude and had a lot of fights with like Dustin Rhodes and, and some of them over in Memphis. So there's there was a lot more history to Godfather, I think, than your casual uh, wrestling fan knows about. But uh, I think it's uh, pretty pretty easy uh, to put Dusty Rhodes over here. I agree. I I just kind of came up with this pairing because with Dusty Rhodes, his charisma was off the chart, and I think if he was paired with the Godfather on the other side, it would be a really fun match. <clears throat> um, yeah. So I, I just thought that'd be an interesting pairing. And that takes us into our next matchup of Magnum TA versus DDP. Two guys that were way over in their time. Magnum TA was super popular in the 80s. DDP was super popular in the late 90s. Uh, I like their look. I like their their charisma. So, Scott, what's your take on this matchup of Magnum TA versus DDP? <laughs> so this is another one that uh, is very, very hard to pick for me. And it's funny because these two guys are almost direct opposites as far as their careers. And what I mean by that is Magnum TA got his career cut way short and he was young, young in his, his career, young man and, and suffered a terrible injury and, uh, was cut short. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, then you look at DDP who was not an actual wrestler until he was 35 years old. He was in the business. He was a manager. He was a, a talker, a mouthpiece, and then decided to get in the ring at 35. And what what I mean by that is so where Magnum TA got cut way short, DDP didn't start till too late. Really, he should have started earlier. And uh, who, who, who knows where his career would have went because he was already, you know, even starting that late, the amount of accolades he has just for, you know, that decade basically that he was in wrestling uh, is, is unmatched for somebody that would start that late. And imagine if he would have started at 25 or or 22, at like a lot of them do, or even younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just a weird career for DDP, and he even talks about it on a lot of his interviews and things like that about him not starting until he was 35 and was kind of under the gun and and you know at a disadvantage. Yeah, he but, was a manager in AWA for Bad Company, Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka. Absolutely, for a long time. When he came to WCW mm-hmm. at first, he was a manager. He was just a mouthpiece. He had like the Diamond Dolls and the Diamond Stud, the, the Diamond Stud, which was Scott Hall, and you know, so it, it's. Yeah, it's just a weird career for him the way the way things unfolded. So, with that being said, both of these guys had so much pop uh, at the time of their their careers. DDP was a good bad guy. He was a good babyface. You know, he he saw both sides of it. Man, I I don't know this this one's hard to call. Yeah, well, why don't we talk but, about Magnum TA a little bit, and then some of the matches he had, and then DDP. Because I, I just feel with Magnum TA, those matches he had with Tully Blanchard were amazing. I mean, they had the iconic I Quit match where he got Tully Blanchard to um, to say I Quit. They battled for the TV championship. Um, you know, he had a lot of good runs with Ric Flair. Uh, I mean, he was the heir apparent to Ric Flair to be the NWA world champion. But, I mean, he was good in the ring. 
Um, he had that Magnum PI look, which was popular for uh, you know the the nineties. That's where his whole Magnum character came. But talk about some of those matches he had with um, with Tully Blanchard. So one of the greatest cage matches of all time was the match between him and Tully Blanchard. And you can look on just about anybody's uh, wrestling page, any video that has anything to do with that, and it's it's ranked up there. It's on, on everybody's top ten uh, and, and a lot of people's top ten matches of all time, not just cage matches. So uh, Magnum, not just with Tully. I mean, they were dynamite together. They had a good run together. But uh, Magnum had some good good matches with other guys too, like uh, uh, Nikita, like we talked about earlier. And oh yeah, that was a good one. A lot, a lot of them, man. I mean, Magnum was just highly talented, uh, and it was just a shame that he was cut short of his career the way that he had to be. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I I don't know what else to say other than the guy was fantastic for the time that he was in it, and the time that we were able to be exposed to him. It was just cut short. Well, and I, what year? I like, what year did he get cut short? Was that eighty six? Eighty six, like October of eighty six, and so that yeah. when that happened, that was when Dusty started to make the the change of face for Nikita Koloff, and of course Nikita went on that big run. But those battles with Nikita and Magnum for the U.S. title were were amazing. I mean, great in the ring. And to DDP's point, I mean, DDP was this guy. He was battling with NWO. He battled with Hogan. He had. Um, you know, great battles with Randy Savage in WCW, and and DDP kind of reminded me of a a better version of Michael Hayes is in the ring because yep. both men could really talk, and you know that that rivalry between DDP and Randy Savage, where you know DDP has Kimberly as his attractive well, wife at the time, and then of course Randy Savage and Elizabeth, I thought that was a good matchup. I think Magnum, uh, I'm going to say Magnum P.I., Magnum T.A. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Magnum T.A. is obviously the better technician, but I think it would be a really good matchup. Ultimately, I would vote for Magnum T.A. because I think he was a better wrestler, and I and I just think that period, he, he was so amazing. But, I mean, I, I have no heartburn if somebody picks DDP as well. Just the fact that uh, DDP had Kimberly as a wife tells you how good of a talker he was. <laughs> she was fabulous. And, uh, she was the head of the Nitro Girls and all that, man. She was just amazing. So, yeah, that tells you how good of a talker he was because he's not a good-looking guy. Yeah. But anyway, I, I think I almost have to go with Magnum TA as well simply because of what could have been and where he was headed. But – with DDP, it's, you know, he did accomplish all he accomplished in the 10 years he, he was in there, man. He went from a new guy in the ring to main eventing with Hulk Hogan. I mean, it's at pay-per-views. I mean, that's unprecedented. It's unheard of. So I'm seriously on the fence on this one. Uh, I think overall I, I like Magnum TA a little better, so I'll go that way. But as far as accolades and success, it, it's very hard to pick. Well, here's one thing we can do here, too. I mean, the winner of this matchup goes against Dusty Rhodes in a matchup of these guys. I mean, do you pick any of these guys over Dusty Rhodes? I don't. No, I don't. I don't pick Magnum or DDP over Dusty. Yeah. So we could have a we could have a, a split here, and we have a triple threat match, and I still think Dusty goes over. But I will say this. If you have Dusty in his prime 
versus Magnum TA. Oh, me. I mean, that would be a hot ticket. That would be a sold out show. Yeah, great match. And honestly, I think Dusty may come in. I don't know who would be the heel in that match. Maybe Dusty could find a way, and it'd be like the teacher versus the student. That's how I think Dusty would sell that match. And then yeah. you get DDP versus um, Dusty. Just the charisma in that match is off the charts. The build-up build to that match would be great. And you know DDP and Dusty had a very close relationship outside the ring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so interesting. All right, well, we'll make that a triple threat match, but ultimately Dusty would go over there. But I, I just really like all three of those guys, and it's it's just such a shame. You know, when you hear about all the the, the people talk about Magnum TA and when he had that car wreck and – and stuff. I mean, it was just such a tragedy because he was so respected among his peers and was on the way up. And it it really put uh, the NWA in a major spot. I mean, luckily they had a guy like Nikita Koloff who could step in, but I mean that was just a major major loss for that uh, for that brand. And and it pushed guys like Barry Windham to come yep. in and and step up. And we'll get to Barry Windham a little bit later. So, all right, next matchup, Battle of the Face Paint, guys. Goldust versus Kamala. What's your take on this matchup and these two wrestlers? <laughs> I think this is a very entertaining match. I think this uh, match could, could be very funny and very fun for the fan. Yeah. But I think that Goldust goes over here pretty, pretty easily in a popularity contest. Well, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, Goldust was the better skill. I mean... Kamala was one of these guys, kind of like a Bruiser Brody or a Kabuki who'd come into a territory for a few months. But he was in WWF for a while to battle Hogan, but you know never had a title um, on him. A good, a good heel, a good act. You know, came in with the 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 headdress and the paint, and, and I like Kamala, but I just think Goldust was too talented um, in the ring. You know, title holder, loved Marlena. On the side, um, oh yeah. So I, we're yeah. going, we're going gold dust in this matchup. All right, next matchup. Oh my gosh, <laughs> what a matchup! What a matchup! Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, Mankind, whatever you want to call him, versus the Sandman. Wow, this is an ECW classic. What what do you take on this matchup? So this match actually happened. Uh, Cactus Jack versus Sandman, if I'm not mistaken, was in a barbed wire match. It'd have to be. And it was insane. It, I've seen it. It was years before ECW got mainstream. It was more around like the 93, 94 era. I think like when Cactus Jack was bouncing in and out of WCW and before he made his WWF uh, debut. Uh, these guys are wild, man. I loved uh, Cactus Jack persona better than any of the other personas that Mick Foley had. I know a lot of people liked him as Mankind. Your casual wrestling fan only knew him really as Mankind and uh, Dude Love or or whatever and Mick Foley, but I knew him as Cactus Jack from the early uh, uh, WCW days in the late 80s, early 90s when him and Sting were going back and forth and man, uh, Sandman was a great wrestler i mean this guy had a ton of talent uh i think the issue was is he liked to party too much in in real life and i think that hurt him in his career because he actually had a wcw run run as uh i think he was called hardcore hack 
and uh, you know that that kind of gave him some opportunity there. And I don't know that he did much with it. And mm-hmm. then he went back to uh, ECW, which is where he was just a legend. I mean, they worshipped him over there. I know. Oh my gosh, he came out to Metallica's Inner Sandman, and the yes. fans in that ECW arena just ate him up. Yeah, and he he was a main event guy over there, and he carried it. It's just he didn't keep himself in good shape. He didn't take good care of himself outside the ring. Uh, you know, his character, I, it, for lack of better terms, was really him. Yeah. I mean, the guy drank a lot. I actually met the guy after an ECW show in the uh, Evansville Coliseum where, where they actually came to Evansville finally. Man, we waited for years for that to happen, and it, it happened. And me and the guys I went with stayed out in the parking lot after the show and met up with Sandman and Raven and uh, Bill Alfonso and and some of those guys and and actually like talked to them for a while. Sandman was drinking <laughs> right there in the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, he was really drunk, and uh, you know I I think that hurt him. So I think for that matchup, it's an awesome match. It was an awesome match. Please, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. Uh, I wouldn't watch it with any little kids because it's pretty gory. But uh, uh, I think you got to go with Foley here just from the longevity of his career and the, the moderate success he had in WCW, the major success he had in WWF, uh, the ability to play like three different, four different characters and be successful at that. I, I, hey, and he's a national uh, success as an author. <laughs> yeah. So you got to. You got to go with Foley here, but that's a that's a great matchup, and I loved it. Yeah, no, a great matchup, and uh, you know the thing with Foley. I mean, I, I saw some of those Hell in the Cell matches he had with the Undertaker, and when he fell off, I mean, Undertaker threw him off. I mean, oh, yeah. we thought he was dead. I mean, I remember Jim Ross was like, "My gosh, Mick Foley's dead." I mean, just the the amount of punishment that man went through on the hardcore stuff. I mean. He was critical to the Attitude Era, and he just there wasn't really anybody doing all that crazy stuff until I saw him. And then you know he battled with Terry Funk and Sandman, all those guys in ECW. But I mean, just a legend. And uh, I really liked his Cactus Jack character too. I really think in WCW he should have had a better run because I I like those matches with him and Sting. But when he got to WWF, he just he got uh, his his biggest push. He and Sting tore the house down, and if you know if guys haven't seen that match, uh, they or those matches, they need to go back and watch it because they really, you could see the early extreme in Cactus Jack there because he was doing crazy stuff that was unprecedented there that you know you, you weren't expecting to see a 300 pound guy do a flip off the apron on top of a another guy and just you know crazy stuff like that. He was taking all kinds of risks, and uh, he just his interviews were great because he had the whole uh the bang bang uh, the yeah the manson look you know he kind of was going for that charles manson look and if you uh know cactus jack early in his career he actually was called cactus jack manson right for a while so uh if people haven't seen those sting matches they really need to go back and check it out because you could see the genius in in him early uh there before he really got a big push so i I think those are classics yep so we'll move uh, Cactus Jack, Mick Foley on over the Sandman. Our next matchup, uh, 6-11 matchup, is Booker T versus Junkyard Dog. This is a really great matchup, I think. And, you know, some fans, 
we, we talk about Junkyard Dog um, from time to time on the podcast and how great of a star and how important of a star he was in um, Mid-South in that Louisiana Territory. And then, of course, when he came to the WWF, he was super popular with Hogan. But then, like, let's say 88 on, you know, he put on some weight. His matches really weren't that entertaining. Um, he had a, a, a forgettable WCW run and just wasn't the same guy. And I think when they talk about his legacy, more people tend to focus on that, uh, especially like in Hall of Fame voting for outside of WWF. But he was just a great talent. I mean, super over, would pack those stands in, in Mid-South with battles with guys like uh, Ted DiBiase and the Freebirds. And then Booker T is a guy that primarily was a tag team guy in, in the, until the late 90s and then became one of the greatest singles performers ever and super talented both from power and um, the, the speed and skill standpoint so what's your take on these two guys so i think both of these guys are underrated both of them are undersold and just to reiterate your point and you made a perfect point on jyd everybody focuses on the mid to late 80s uh, jyd and even the early 90s when he was in wcw which was later on in his career he he done uh wasn't spending a lot of time in the gym <laughs> to put it nicely uh he was out of shape put on a lot of weight he couldn't carry a match but the early late 70s early 80s uh jyd for the the mid-south and like even when he first came to wwf man he he could tear it up i mean he could get around he could have a good match he could carry a match i mean hey he could even main event so mm -hmm. I think people need to consider that as we're discussing this, you know, cause that's what's making it tough for me. And I'm a huge Booker T fan. I think that uh, Booker T didn't get the success he deserved uh, one in WCW and two in uh, WWF. I think that uh, when Booker T first came on, they tried everything they could to bury him at first with uh, the rock acting like he didn't even know who Booker T was. And, and things like that and you'll see a lot of the wwf marks uh and rock marks uh they are determined to say that booker t modeled his uh wrestling after the rock but i've got some bad news for people booker t was doing the bookend way before the rock was doing the rock bottom those are facts uh so really did booker t copy off the rock or was it the other way around because a lot of their wrestling styles were similar, and I think that they were a good matchup when they they did do it. But Booker T refused to to stay down and kept fighting through all the the uh, issues there with WWF or WWE, and finally scratched out a, a fairly successful career, even though they tried to hold him down at the beginning. If you go back and watch, you'll see what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sting even talked about it in a, a lot of his interviews where it was like they tried to bury all the WCW guys. That's why Sting refused to go over there. And he specifically calls out that uh, interview where Booker T comes out and The Rock is like, who are you? And all that. And Sting's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going over there and getting buried and burying my legacy. And, you know, for the most part, Vince did bury most of the WCW guys, but Booker T refused to stay down. Mm -hmm. and stuck with it and toughed it out and became King Booker and had a, had a pretty good run over there and still working for him today, making money, you know? So, yeah. uh, I think 
in this matchup, Booker T goes over, but I think it's tougher than most people like the casual wrestling fan thinks because JYD early on in his career and in the mid South and early WWF days was awesome. I mean, he was highly popular. He was a household name before wrestlers were household names. I mean, he was right there with Hogan and macho and Andre, the giant and, and all that. He was right in that mix. So this was a tough one, but Booker T goes over. I agree with you. Um, I, I, I love junkyard dog, but I think Booker T overall from a longevity standpoint has had a better career I think Booker T is just a better wrestler. I think, I mean, he's a big, strong guy, so he could, I mean, if JYD had the strength advantage, it wouldn't be by as much. But, I mean, Booker could do all the aerial stuff. I mean, a very talented wrestler, good on the mic. Um, I really like his look. Um, but I think if we had it, like, in the real world, Booker T, just out of respect to JYD, he might he might volunteer to to do a job for JYD just out of respect because if you think about you know some of the great black uh, wrestlers of that era I mean you think of Ernie Cat Ladd and um, the JYD is the one that a lot of people think of and a lot of people our age think of you know Ron Simmons and he was an influence for a lot of those guys and um, you know just a tremendous wrestler but I agree with you I think I'd go with Booker T as well just I think he's an overall better wrestler yeah Agreed. All right, next matchup, uh, Harley Race versus Ken Patera. Harley Race is one of the legends of, of wrestling. I mean, really popular in the 70s, early 80s, um, legendary battles with Flair. And ultimately, I mean, Flair was not the guy at that time. It was Harley Race who was the guy. And, you know, you had the big Flair for the gold runs with Harley Race. And then after Harley Race turn, um, lost the title to Flair – I guess for the final time in 83, because, I mean, Race was, I think, a seven-time NWA world champion, and that was in a day where being the world champion was a, a big deal, and you had to travel to all the different territories and stuff. So it was a, a tremendous um, uh, responsibility and a you know highly respected wrestler. But he had some good runs in uh, WWF as King Harley Race with Bobby Heenan. So, you know, a, a solid performer throughout the 80s. And then... Um, then when you get to Ken Patera, this is a Olympian, good strong guy, good solid wrestler. I don't think I pick Harley Race to lose, though. I think I definitely go with Harley Race over Ken Patera, but I do think Ken Patera was a really good performer. What's your take on these uh, two guys? So let's <clears throat> going back to the beginning of the episode when we called it out for the fans. Uh, Eighty. This is eighties and nineties. So Ken Patera and Harley Race were both high, highly popular in the 70s. Ken Patera had some legal issues in the early 80s. Then he became injury prone in the mid 80s uh, when he made a comeback to WWF. He was a, a very good heel in the late 70s, possibly early 80s there. But then when he went away for a few years and came back, he kind of did a face run. But without much success, I think they were pushing him. And then he had some kind of a bicep injury that, that really sidelined him. And, uh, he was on a good survivor series team with Hogan, if you recall, but, uh, he was wearing that arm brace and all that, uh, thing. So Harley race, uh, as well was probably better in the seventies, uh, late seventies than he was at any time in his career, but he was still hot in the early eighties and he did have the King run in the mid to late eighties and had a run with Hogan, uh, 
for uh, I, I know I watched them on a Saturday night's main event or a couple of Saturday night's main events uh, where it was King Harley Race versus Hogan for the belt and uh, things like that. So longevity wise and just legendary status wise, you got to go with Harley Race here. I agree. All right, so moving on to our next matchup, and this is another one that I've been struggling with and was even researching it even this morning before getting on this podcast. You got uh, Barry Windham versus Lex Luger. I mean, I really like both of these guys. I I really like Lex Luger. Um, I think his look was amazing. I mean, I liked the guys that had the you know the great physiques, and in that time, it was like him and Kerry Von Erich and Ravishing Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, just a fantastic look. Um, Luger was very popular, but he was such a, a, a green wrestler when we first got exposed to him. He only started wrestling in 85, and so I think he was in Florida for a year and worked under Barry Windham and, you know, different trainers and things like that. And um, so he was a green guy, and so he had to learn a lot working with Flair and different guys, and so he gets kind of a, a raw deal from some people saying, well, he was stiff in the ring. And on the other hand, Barry Windham was as talented of a wrestler as you could imagine. I mean, numerous 60-minute broadways with Ric Flair. Um, but he didn't have the charisma that um, – Luger did wasn't great on the mic, but I mean in the ring he was amazing. He he was a great horseman, in my opinion. So um, and I, personally, my my favorite version of the horseman was Flair, Arn Tully, and Barry Windham, and uh, just a a really good tag wrestler overall, solid. But I kind of thought Barry should have had more titles. He did have a a, a run with the championship the heavyweight championship in NWA and um, in WCW in the early 90s after Flair left. He was a very good U.S. champion in the late 80s as he battled with Luger. But he was only a one-time heavyweight champion and only a one-time uh, U.S. champion, which was surprising for how good he was. So what's your take on these guys? I'm with you on this one. This one's another tough one to call. Uh, the big Texan, Barry Windham, I loved him. I, and I'm with you. I I. Love the Horseman. I'm I'm a diehard Horseman fan. Uh, I have several different versions that I really enjoyed. I think that probably I have to agree that Barry Windham, the one where Barry Windham was the fourth guy, I think maybe that was that was my favorite one as well. They just they just had a look and a swagger about them at that point that was just unmatched. And uh, you know Luger had a he looked like a million dollars man. You can't argue it. Good-looking guy, built like a freight train, ripped, spent a lot of time in the gym. He was a pro athlete before he became a wrestler. Uh, I think he was a – who did he play for? He was a, he was an NFL player, right? Uh, well, he was in the USFL, and I think with Tampa, because he played football at University of Miami. But um, right. then when that didn't work out, he got into the uh, NWA Florida territory based out of Tampa – and right. um, you know when he had those matches like with Ric Flair I mean I was listening to an interview today they had Flair as a champion and he was making a, a visit to the Florida Territory and they had a battle up in Daytona Beach and it was just like one of Luger's first matches and it was they threw Luger in to a 60 minute match with Flair and of course Luger was saying man he was really nervous he's like this green kid and <laughs> to throw him in for 60 minutes, and Flair was upset with it too because it was like he did, it wasn't fair to Luger, but 
Flair was impressed enough with Luger's skills that he mentioned it to Dusty Rhodes, and then they saw the look, and they're like, you know, we got to get this guy up here. And so he learned along the way, um, and they one of the reasons why they put him with the horseman is so that, you know, he didn't have to be the mouth to talk. Uh, right. You've got Flair and Arn and Tully and, and all that. J. Plus, J. Yeah, J.J. Dillon. And, you know, they just kind of brought him along, and eventually when they felt he was – uh, ready, you know, he had those really great matches with Barry Windham for the U.S. title. I mean, I, they were really good matches. I liked it, and you know, ended up being a five-time U.S. champion, a, I think a th- two-time WCW champion. You know, he left and went to WWF, and you know, that 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 wasn't as as successful as I don't think anybody expected. He just, they wanted him to kind of be the guy replacing Hogan, and for some reason, he just didn't get over. But you know, they asked Lex about that, and if I remember right, they're like, you know, it's just different styles. Because when he was in the NWA, you're you're catering to the Southern group, and I guess it's you know when you get your fans in New York and Philadelphia and all their their styles are just different. But when he came back to WCW in the Attitude Era, I still thought he was really good. I mean, along with Sting, one of the main faces, and. He had some heel turns, but I, I thought Lex Luger was really good, but I don't think he was as good in the ring as Wyndham. But if I had to pick, I'd pick Luger because I think Luger would draw more money for WCW than Wyndham. I just didn't think Wyndham had um, the the drawing power. But that being said, in this match, I think Wyndham would probably help carry the match because he was so good in the ring. But I was just disappointed that he didn't do more in WWF as you know he went as uh, – the Widowmaker, I think, and stuff, because, I mean, he was just really good, 6'7", you know, 270. He didn't have the look that Luger had, though, and I think that did hurt him. I agree. I mean, in-ring skill, Barry Windham could do circles around Luger, but it's about, at the end of the day, it's about fan favorites and, you know, how much success they actually had, and Luger went on to hold gold. I mean, he was a U.S. title holder. He was a world title holder. He was tag team champion. Uh, which I'm with you. I think that, uh, uh, you know, they should have probably pushed Luger on over to have the uh, uh, belt in WWE but or, or WWF at the time, but they didn't do it. And uh, I, I just, I don't know, man. This one's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, overall, I think Luger probably goes over. Uh, but my heart really likes Barry Windham as oh, well. I do too. So I, it's tough. I love Barry Windham. Well, we'll put Luger over for this, but I, I think what we're going to do, when we get through our next matchup, this could be a, maybe a triple threat one because I think a matchup with Luger or Wyndham against whoever wins the matchup in the next uh, pairing would be very interesting, and that pairing is Stan Hansen versus Dirty Dick Slater. Um, you got some really tough men in this matchup right here. I mean, Stan Hansen was wild and crazy and – tough kind of like a bruiser brody uh kind of difficult to deal with of uh, from the, the stories we hear you know um I, I first got exposed to stan hansen in georgia championship wrestling and then um of course he went over to nw or awa won the title there from nick bockwinkle and then i i forgot the, the story but he ended up there was something where he, he got he was going to get stripped of the title in awa and they wanted the title back and he went over to japan and uh, smashed it up and sent it back in, like, FedEx or UPS to AWA. But 
you know, he uh, was a great wrestler in Japan, uh, one of the most popular uh, uh, American wrestlers over there. But he had a good run in NWA, WCW, too, battling Lex Luger for that U.S. title and, and took it from Lex. And, right. And then Dick Slater, he was a, a just a tremendous wrestler in that Florida territory. I mean, rough and tough, kind of like Dick Murdoch. And that was another guy I was considering for this spot uh, against Stan Hansen is either Dick Slater or Dick Murdoch. I went with Slater because I thought he was more of a singles wrestler than Dick Murdoch. Uh, but Dick Murdoch was another one of these guys, just a, a rough and tough, hard-nosed guy. Um, but I think in either matchup, I'm going with uh, Stan Hansen as a winner here. What's your take on this matchup? So I, I like both these guys as brawlers. Uh, they're definitely old-school, hard-nosed uh, guys. Uh, you know, it, it, those were my type of guys. I, I loved watching them fight. Stan Hansen had infamous battles with with Vader, as we talked about. I, I, you know, Dick Slater had a small run in WWF as the Rebel. Um, Hansen, did Hansen ever do WWF? I don't even remember him ever actually being over there. Do you recall? I, I, I think he did in the seventies because he's the one that broke Bruno uh, San Martino's neck in the in the seventies with the Lariat. Oh, that's right, that's right. When it was the WWW. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as like when Hogan was over there, no, Stan Hansen wasn't over there. Right. So I, with the J Japanese success and with the battles with Vader in WCW and with his WCW success, I'm going with Stan Hansen. All right. I agree. Well, let's – we're now in our second round, but I'm going to stick with this bracket that we're in and just keep working up the chain. So we picked Stan Hansen. We just talked about that Lex Luger um, – Barry Windham matchup. What do you see in the matchup with uh, Hanson versus Lex Luger? Because these were battles in the in the nineties in WCW. So they had good matches. I I enjoyed them. I, I think I've still got them somewhere on uh, VHS where mm -hmm. these two guys went for it. I think there was actually like a was it a, a cowbell match or a bullwhip match or bull, something bull like whip, that? Yeah, tied together and uh, yeah. Overall, I. I thought these were good matches. Uh, I, I like Hanson better than Luger, but I think from a popularity standpoint and a success standpoint and the look and things like that, again, I think you got to go Luger over Hanson, but it pains me to say that because I'm more of a Hanson guy than a Luger guy. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with Hanson um, as well just because I, I like Lex Luger, but I think when you – talk about the history of wrestling and take that into perspective Stan Hansen is just so widely regarded and there are a lot of people that they really just didn't care for Lex's Lex's time so I think if we were in a room with historians um we'd probably get laughed at picking Lex Luger over over Hansen um but uh just from a, a history standpoint so I, I'm gonna go with Hansen but I, I do like Lex Luger and I do think he's one of these guys that's just kind of underrated as a wrestler because I mean his job was he got where he got because of his look but he wasn't like horrible in the ring and I mean I'd certainly much rather watch him than um than Kevin Nash or uh Sid Vicious I mean I, I thought Luger was was pretty good I mean he wasn't as good as Sting I wasn't he wasn't Ric Flair but um I thought he was good and and even if you had the matchup with Barry Windham and Stan Hansen, I, I think a matchup with Barry Windham and Stan Hansen would be really good. I mean, you've got some brawlers there, but I think they'd turn in a nice technical match too. Both, yeah, I both agree. have good lariats. I agree. 
But I think in either matchup, I'm still voting for Stan Hansen there. So, all right, next so match. Are you putting Hansen over Luger? Is that? Yep, I'm putting Hansen over Luger. Wow. Okay. I, I'm not mad. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. Well, I, I think the thing is, is with Stan Hansen, he, if you on TV, like he wasn't in WWF or NWA that long, but when he was, he was always booked as a top guy just because of, of how good he was in Japan. I mean, the respect that he has. And I, I just think when you talk about, I mean, he's in the WWE Hall of Fame, and he he wasn't in that, that period from Hogan. So that's how much respect Stan Hansen has in the industry. I mean, Luger's not even in the WWE Hall of Fame, and he right. was there. I mean, as far as, like, who are the women going to like, they're obviously going to, the women fans are going to like Lex Luger. The kids are probably going to like Lex Luger. I think the hardcore blue-collar guys are they're going to like Stan Hansen. But I just think overall um, Stan Hansen is just a better wrestler, and, and he drew. So, But I wouldn't have a problem with Lex Luger winning. That's why WCW booked it that way. They had, you know, Hansen came in and won, but Luger took it back. So, But I, I just think overall um, I, I'd have to go with Stan Hansen there. All right, next matchup, Battle of Former Kings in the WWE. Harley Race versus Booker T. What's your take on this matchup? So this is a good one. This is a real good one here. Uh, this one's very tough. Uh, man, so Harley of the early 80s versus Booker T of the late 90s would be the, the matchup to have. Right. And, man, that would be, whew. So Booker T was, what, five-time WCW champion? Is I, that right? I, I forgot. I'll, I'll look it up real quick. I mean, I think it's five-time because that was his shtick for a while. He held up the five and said five-time, five-time. And, uh, man, Harley Race's legend is just unmatched here, though. I, but, again, if we're keeping it to 80s and 90s, Harley had a good run in the 80s with WWF, but he never held any gold. He did main event with Hogan, which was the guy. In the 80s, he made a lot of money. He was King Harley Race. Booker was King Booker. <laughs> so mm -hmm. they kind of cancel each other out on that. But Booker did hold gold in WWF. Harley never did, if I'm not mistaken. He, he didn't. So I think Booker edges Harley Race out, keeping this to the 80s and 90s. If we were including 70s Harley Race, we may have to lean the other way. But uh, I'm going with, with Booker T on this one. I agree, um, and, I, and I think if this was a debate of, well, I mean, if you're looking at overall career, like you said, I mean, I, I don't see how you not pick Harley Race, but I think another thing that's worthy of discussion here is the evolution of styles. I mean, even if you had Harley Race in his prime, prime of, of his career, he didn't do all the aerial moves and stuff, so when you're debating these guys who were great in the 60s and 70s versus the styles of the modern guys now, I mean, the, the, they just can't keep up with that. And the guys are just as big and just as strong. I mean, Booker had the the, the speed. I, I just think it would be a very tough matchup for Harley Race. That being said, Harley was you know legendary for being one of the toughest guys in wrestling, period. 
But I just think if I'm the booker of the match, I think it's a better match if you have Booker going over just from the, the style standpoint. I think his style is more uh, appealing to me because Harley was really more of a, a slower-paced, power guy, you know, old-school wrestling. Yeah. So, and just kind of looking at Booker's uh, history, all right, WCW World Heavyweight Champion four times. He was a um, the World Television Champion five times. He was a U.S. Champion one time. Ten-time tag champion. Um, I'm sorry, let's see. And then WWF, I mean, multiple champions. But I just think that Harley Race's career in the, the 80s in WWF was nothing really that great. I mean, he's just kind of a good mid-carder for guys like the Junkyard Dog and, um, you know, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and stuff. I, I think Booker just has tremendous moves in there, so I'll, I'll support the decision. Of Booker T. Yeah. All right, so we got Booker T moving on. Next matchup, Goldust versus uh, Cactus Jack Mankind. What, what's your assessment there? So we're looking at uh, Goldust versus Cactus Jack. Right, right, right. So this one's a tough one because I like Dustin Rhodes as a character, and I liked Goldust as a character, and I think we have to combine them because you're talking 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And Dustin came out as the natural uh, in the in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, when he made his debut and had a pretty good run, actually, as a young guy. He did some time in Memphis to hone his skills, and then he come on over to WCW and was in a couple, couple of the war games. I think he might have even got uh, carried the U.S. title for a, for a minute and was in contention for it a lot. Uh, and then you had Goldust, who was a superstar. But with that being said, Mick Foley as Cactus Jack had had as good or better success as Cactus Jack early on as The Natural did. And then as Mankind and just Mick Foley in general had more success to me than Goldust did. So as a whole here, I'm going with Foley. But... You know, this. keep in mind, fans, this is 80s and 90s. If we were going for total longevity, I would have to hand it to Goldust because he's still wrestling today and is good. So uh, as back as Dustin Rhodes, <laughs> and he's in AEW. Yeah. So if you, have, if you haven't tuned in, check it out. But uh, I think for 80s and 90s, we're, we're going with Foley on this one. I, I agree. Um, I, I just think. The, the Cactus Jack Mankind character was just too impressive in the in the 90s to to be overlooked here. I mean, the matches he had with The Undertaker were just unbelievable. I mean, all, all those hardcore matches, um, I, I just think it was amazing. And, I, you know, even on longevity, I mean, I would still debate, if you just look at their entire career of Dustin Rhodes, Goldust, or Cactus Jack Foley, whatever, I still would take Cactus Jack. I mean, the bumps that he took... I mean, at some point, the guy's, like, got to step aside with all the, the bumps and stuff. But, I mean, he's just a, was tremendous, just an innovator in um, the style that we see now with a lot of the hardcore things and the flying through the ring. Um, I think Goldust is, is really good. Um, I thought in my assessment of this, looking overall, you know, the past few years that he had in WWE toward the end weren't, weren't that great. And I know that's not 80s and 90s. 
But uh, I really enjoyed it when he he and Marlena were paired up. I I thought that was just a fantastic presentation. I really enjoyed Marlena as well. And um, you know that that short little power slam that Goldust has, which Dustin Rhodes still has today. I mean that's that's a super impressive move, one of my favorites. But I agree with uh, Foley going over here. So that gets us to our final four here. Let's just go ahead and finish out this bracket while we got these wrestlers on our mind because we moved Dusty Rhodes along uh, over Magnum TA and DDP in a triple threat match. So that results in a match of Dusty Rhodes versus Mick Foley in the Elite Eight for this bracket. Um, I'm sorry, in the Sweet 16 of this bracket. Um, what's your take on this matchup? That, that That's a pretty impressive matchup right there. This is a matchup for the ages right here Foley and Dusty Rhodes. However, I, I kind of alluded to Foley's career uh, not being that long. And if you really put it into perspective, he was competitive for about a decade. After that, yeah, he still did some matches in the early 2000s and, and things like that, but they were usually specialty matches. And, you know, if you go back and watch and you really pay attention, not just as a fan, but try to dissect the match, you can tell Foley, he has trouble walking to the ring, much less uh, carrying the match. So Dusty Rhodes was a phenomenon uh, for a guy his size, much like today's uh, uh, Kevin Owens, uh, Kevin Steen from Ring of Honor. And not the best in shape, didn't spend the most time in the gym, but the guy could go and was surprisingly agile for his size and dusty had a long career dusty was super insanely popular in the 70s mm -hmm. he was super insanely popular in the 80s and dusty was still going in the in the 90s early 90s he still had a few rounds there with wwf uh when he come over and was <laughs> matched up with sweet sapphire and uh all that and was wearing the polka dots. Uh, I mean, that was late eighties, early nineties. And then he still come back and had another WCW run, uh, before they really kind of, uh, limiting, limited him to the announce booth, uh, in the mid to late nineties when the NWO and all that took over. But, uh, I think Dusty even competed in ECW a couple times there in the, in the mid to late nineties, just as a special, special venue, special appearance type things. But he actually got in the ring and uh, I'm going with with Rhodes is what I'm leaning on here, just from longevity and popularity standpoint as a whole, because Dusty had a huge impact on the business for as long as uh, he was in it, and he was a booker. I mean, he he held every role. I mean, he he was in the office, he was in the ring, he was commentating. Uh, there was nothing that the guy didn't do for the business. So, and his two boys are still carrying on his legacy today and doing a good job of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just think the overall career of Dusty Rhodes is just too much here. Um, I mean, great performer, great great on the mic. Um, I agree 100%. I, I couldn't have said it any better with Dusty Rhodes. So we'll pick Dusty Rhodes to go over uh, Mick Foley here in a very good match. I mean, think of the creative minds in this match. I mean, it, it would be a classic. All right, in the next matchup uh, in this bracket, you got Booker T versus Stan Hansen. What's your take on this match? So this one's a tough one to call, man. Uh, yeah. I, I, from a Styles matchup and a look matchup and a buildup, I think I would have preferred Luger versus Booker T uh, in this scenario. But uh, Hanson, 
and Booker T, I, their styles clash quite a bit here. Hanson's more of a brawler, and Booker is more of like the finesse guy and more athletic guy. Uh, man, it, it's tough because Hanson was wildly popular in Japan. Uh, I, like I said, I loved him. He was a hard-nosed guy. Booker T's, uh, you know, his success rate, I think, is what you got to go with here and his longevity because Booker T's been doing it for a long time. You know, he people forget that he was a, a, a unknown called G.I. Bro in the late 80s when he first started, and then he worked his way up, and, you know, he had a solid career up until the mid-2000s. Uh, I can't even tell you when his last match was in WWE. Didn't he make it to the t uh, teens? Yeah. Didn't he go that far? Yeah, he did. He did. Um... So with that being said, I think I'm handing it to Booker T just from a longevity uh, standpoint. And, uh, you know, like I said, I love Stan Hansen, but I think from a success and longevity standpoint, I'm going with Booker. I, I agree with that. Um, I, I'm a big Booker T fan. Also, I'm a big Stan Hansen fan. But I think the fact of Stan spending, spending so much time in Japan – I, I really didn't get to see him as much, so I, all I really remember from Stan was the Georgia Championship Wrestling and then that period of the 90s with Luger. And it's like, you know, I don't know about with the wrestling in Japan, like how great it is compared to what you're going with over over here. And I think Booker T just has better moves. Um, Booker T is a big guy who I think could battle with Hanson as far as the brawling. And I think I would just personally enjoy watching a Booker T match. Um, I, if I was a Booker, I'd enjoy seeing him go over. I mean, it's, it's a toss-up. I could I could go one way or the other. I mean, like we've mentioned with Stan Hansen, he's one of the greatest, most respected wrestlers of all time. But it's just, I, I think Booker's one of these guys that we talk about the evolution of, of wrestling and the moves, similar with Harley Race. I mean, I just think those moves, it, it just makes a difference for me. I mean, I could just as easily say, hey, we could have Stan Hansen versus Harley Race here, two of the greats of all time. Who would you pick there? Then in that case, I I don't know. I Maybe I'd go with Stan Hansen. I'm not sure. But I think in this matchup, I'm going to support you with Booker T. I, I think if it was somebody like, let's say, uh, someone who didn't have the longevity, let's say if you had like a DDP here or a Magnum TA, I wouldn't pick them over, over Hansen. Uh, but I think with Booker T just being so successful in both um, t both federations of WCW and WWF for such a long time, I mean, the guy held 35 championships between um, WCW, WWF, and TNA. I mean, that that's a, an amazing number. So I, I agree with Booker T. So yep. good call. Th that moves him along to have – a matchup against Dusty Rhodes to win this bracket. Well, as much as I love Booker T, I can't <laughs> I, I, I can't pick him over Dusty Rhodes. In my in my mind, Dusty Rhodes, you know, they talk about the Mount Rushmores of of wrestling, and you can debate who is on there. But I mean, to me, Dusty Rhodes is is on there. I think a tremendous wrestler. Um, he was one along with Ric Flair and Hogan were the reasons why, in my opinion, that wrestling became such a hot thing with me as well as my favorites some of my favorites the fabulous freebirds but but um you know dusty was the the mind behind 
War Games and Starcade and you know, he had work when trying to get these guys over and stuff. And I just think he's too much of a legend in this sport to give Booker a, a pass over both Stan Anson and Dusty. So I, I've got to go with Dusty here. What's your take? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in full agreement. Uh, Dusty Rhodes just had too much of a of a career and had too much of a a touch on the business, man. I mean, you go all the way back to. I know you. Uh, when you started, it was Georgia Championship Wrestling, and I, I didn't truly discover Dusty until uh, NWA uh, came on WTBS, which I think then it may have still been been considered Georgia Championship, but I thought it was more of like the Crockett era. Mm-hmm. And uh, what year did the Crockett's buy them out? I guess it was around, well, I guess it was around 84 because Georgia Championship Wrestling... I think was bought by WWF because they WWF was on TBS for a while. They bought that time slot, and then most of those wrestlers went into because Ole Anderson was the owner of Georgia Championship Wrestling. That's what I thought. But anyway, most of those wrestlers from Georgia ended up going to WW um, or um, NWA, the Crockett Promotions. But I just always remember it as NWA. Right. But I guess it was like eighty late eighty four, eighty five. So probably late 85, maybe early 86 is when I discovered it on TBS. And that's, of course, when I discovered Dusty Rhodes and Flair and and all them. Before that, I was more of a WWF guy. And uh, as you know, and as we touched on before that, I was more of a Memphis guy because I only had local channels until like 83. And then that's when I discovered WWF. But anyway, uh, I discovered Crockett Crockett Promotions in around uh, late 85, early 86, and of course, Dusty was at the forefront doing all the promos, cutting all the promos, <laughs> coming in with his sunglasses, wearing the cat hat and talking about being the son of a plumber and and all that stuff. And of course, he was in direct competition with Flair. And and it, this was during the the meet of the Dusty Rhodes versus the Four Horsemen and whoever Dusty brought in with him. And a lot of times it was the Road Warriors, which I absolutely loved and there's just too much history and too much legend with Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I got to give it to him uh, over Booker T. Booker T's great. I think he's uh, underrated. I think he's undersold. I think I love the story behind Booker T because I think Vince tried to bury him and Booker T just wouldn't go away. So they finally had to give in and give him some success. And, uh, but I think he deserved even more than what he got, but Dusty Rhodes goes over Booker T in my in my opinion. Agreed. All right, so Dusty Rhodes is our first Final Four entrant into this bracket. So let's get back uh, to the bracket we started with, which was Hulk Hogan's bracket. We have uh, Hulk Hogan versus Earthquake in a second-round matchup. Uh, what's your take on this matchup, which happened? So, yeah, I was going to say this matchup happened multiple times in WWF and then again in WCW later on, maybe all uh, – uh, like seven, eight years later, right? So uh, this was when Hogan was the face of WCW, and uh, we kind of touched on it earlier when the Dungeon of Doom had Brutus Beefcake turn on him, and Earthquake came over there as, what did I say they called him, the shark mm-hmm. or something like that, and uh, Hogan had a pretty good run with him there again. But uh, he, I, I think hands down you got to go with Hogan. 
they were a good matchup uh, back then. They drew a lot of money. Uh, Earthquake's uh, debut was coming in and uh, out of the crowd for a push-up contest with between Ultimate Warrior and Dino Bravo. We'll give Dino Bravo a shout-out here, even though he's not on this list. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it, was a, it was a coup, right? He was in with Dino Bravo and I think, uh, who was it, Jimmy Hart? Right. And uh, Earthquake pounced on Warrior, so they did a program there for a while, too. And it was a great debut because I was a kid and believed it. You know, I believed the whole thing when Earthquake come out of the crowd. I just thought it was some big guy out of the crowd that they picked. So uh, this was way before the Internet and all that. Plus, I was a young kid, so it, it really uh, blew me away when this guy started pounding on the Ultimate Warrior and uh, all that. So I, I loved Earthquake, thought he was a great guy, but Hogan goes over. I agree, definitely. All right, next um, next matchup, um, second round matchup. I'm I've been struggling with, and even you know going back and forth, <laughs> you and I were like, man, if this is a second round matchup, this is gonna be a tough one. Wahoo McDaniel versus Goldberg. Um, and the reason why it's tough, I mean, some people may be like, man, this really shouldn't be that big of an issue because Goldberg was such a big star in the late '90s and a title, and of course, he's continued on in WWF and is still making sporadic spots or um, appearances today. But Wahoo McDaniel was just, he was a really great wrestler, a tough, tough guy. He wasn't a a championship holder um, as far as the the world championship, but a regular holder of the U.S. championship or the regional championship in Jim Crockett promotions. I mean, widely respected among the the peers, uh, could go the distance in many great matches and many different styles. So he could definitely handle Goldberg's toughness, but I just don't know. I mean, he wouldn't – I don't know if he would be the draws with Goldberg. I mean, because I don't really remember Wahoo that much. I mean, I think he was always a good draw, but I'm not really sure. He didn't have the national notoriety that Goldberg did. But, I mean, what's your take on this matchup? So I'm going to pull the card that I've, I've pulled a couple of times here. Wahoo was more known in the 70s. His success was wildly popular in the 70s more than than any other time. When you and I first discovered, uh, of course, you were Georgia Championship and I was Crockett, you know, later on a little bit, Wahoo was still popular. He still had the legend, but he was past his prime. He was not uh, carrying matches like uh, he could in the 70s. He was not main eventing a whole lot. Uh, you would catch Wahoo on the mothership, they called it, which was Saturday night at 6.05. And that was more of your, like, squash matches where you'd ha- bring out a, a big-name guy versus a Joe Nobody local guy. and they Big would just Bill Tab. Right, and do, like, their warm-up uh, <laughs> yeah. for the big event later. So if you stick to the 80s and 90s genre – Goldberg goes over here because Goldberg was wildly popular in the mid to late nineties. He was hot on fire from 96 to 99 and all the way to the very end of 99. And then on into the two thousands. If you stick with the eighties, nineties genre and the rules that we set Goldberg goes over. But if you go by legendary status and success and, you know, name and all that stuff, Wahoo probably would get it, but you would have to lean on a lot of his 70s accolades. And I think Wahoo actually started in the 60s, if you want to really take it back. I think he did, because he was an NFL player, and, right. and he would wrestle so, in the offseason. 
Right. So if you get if we stick to the rules that we laid out, Goldberg gets it, but only because of that. Yeah. No, I, I, I can agree with that. I mean, I think overall, um, Wahoo McDaniel is the overall better wrestler. And and even to go back to our debates on Harley Race <clears throat> versus Booker T or um, Booker T versus Stan Hansen, I mean, I know in the history books they're they, they will they will say Wahoo is a better overall wrestler, and it's hard to disagree with that because I I'm just not a big fan of Goldberg. I just I, I'm just not. Um, a big fan of the fact that he's so limited and and um, he's dangerous in the ring with a lot of wrestlers. I mean, he he injured Bret Hart with that kick that gave him a concussion, pretty much ended Bret Bret Hart's career. And Bret Hart even was on Stone Cold Steve Austin's um, talk show on WWE Network talking about you know how dangerous um, and reckless that Goldberg is in the ring. And and I've not been a fan of his uh, recent comebacks to WWE. Um, you know, that Undertaker match over in Saudi Arabia was terrible. But regardless, he was a huge, huge draw in WCW. And um, But I think if we're keeping it to the 80s, 90s, I, I can't disagree with the Goldberg pick. But I, but I can also say this, though, too, that if I'm looking at that matchup with Booker T and Harley Race, I really think, hey, if you have them in their prime – I still would pick Booker T over Harley Race just because I think Booker T is just one of these rare combinations of great speed, skill, and power that I, I would have no problem putting money on Harley or on Booker Booker T there. And so I think even if you're looking at in the prime, I, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could still see Goldberg taking Wahoo McDaniel down just because those first five minutes of a Goldberg match are so intense. So I don't know. Goldberg. Goldberg's a super athlete. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of people try to uh, compare him to Stone Cold, and they say he was WCW's version and things like that. And actually, Stone Cold's show on the network, you need to go back and watch it if you haven't, where he has Goldberg on there. It's a great show. Yeah, I need to watch that. They're really good friends. Uh, And they, they touched on that a little bit, and Stone Cold actually bowed out and said, man, you were way more jacked than I was and you were a way better athlete than I was. So, and and that was my take on it. That's why I'm a little bit of a Goldberg mark, especially from the late nineties when you and I were at Murray state Uh university, uh, simply because he was such an athlete, man. He just come out and was a pure, no nonsense guy in the time of where they started talking too much. And, you know, like I love DX and I loved NWO, but a lot of the segments were just too much talk. Man, Goldberg was no nonsense. He come out and took it to you, and that was it. He was just raw power. Now, granted, after the fact, you find out he hurt people and and things like that. So, you know, you kind of, when you get older, you kind of uh, go away from that. But at the time, man, he was just, I loved him, and I thought he was just pure unadulterated machine. I mean, he, he was, was. And that's what drew me to him. I, I was ready for something like that at a time where everybody was talking too much. He didn't talk. And, and a lot of that was because his mic skills weren't developed, but uh, he just come out and handled it, man. So that's kind of why I liked him. And at, uh, another reason why I'm pushing him over Wahoo, but yeah, really Wahoo's body of work was really the seventies and Goldberg's was the nineties. So, right. All right. Fair enough. So, Next matchup, uh, Sergeant Slaughter versus John Cena. Now, this is kind of interesting in a way because if you think about the career of John Cena, 
he really didn't come on the scene until the late 90s. He was more of a 2000s wrestler. But when he did come on the scene, I mean, he was he was good. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter, obviously great. Um, I think if you look at the overall career of these guys, John Cena has the better career. Um, but what, what do you take on this matchup? Because it's, it's a very interesting matchup. A lot of good uh, skill and power from both sides. Well... Let's dig into this for a minute. Yeah. Is is John Cena, did he really come out in the 90s? Did we make a mistake on that one? He came out in 1999, and I just double-checked it. Okay. Uh, now, his body of work, obviously, was not in the 90s. And this is not going to be a popular decision, but I'm putting Slaughter over because Slaughter's body of work was the 80s. And... He was wildly popular in WWF in the early 80s. He was wildly popular in AWA when they were still significant. And uh, Slaughter had so much heat in 91 at the time of uh, Desert Storm when he come out as a Iraq sympathizer that he drew just so much money because people hated him. And he, he was a turncoat, right? So the entire country hated his guts uh, because of that. And I, I think he just drew so much heat. Again, we're going with the rules that we laid out. We're talking 80s and 90s. If we're talking Cena's body of work as a whole career, he dogs Sergeant Slaughter. He blows him away. But if we're talking 80s and 90s, it's Slaughter over Cena. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, just to be fair, you know, to... Harley Race and Wahoo and Stan Hansen and Superstar Billy Graham. I mean, that we got to stick with that because Cena didn't come on until 1999. And honestly, I did not. I did not like his character. I did not like the the hip hop rapper or whatever. So it, from this time frame, Sergeant Slaughter is definitely the pick. Agreed, a hundred percent. Strictly on the 80s and 90s rules and boundaries that we gave ourselves. Yeah. All right. Um, next bracket: um, King Kong Bundy versus Andre the Giant in a rematch of matches that happened. So um, I, I think it'd be a fun match, but I don't see this being any different than how the WWF booked it back in the '80s. I think Andre goes over in an interesting match with um, one of my favorites, King Kong Bundy. What's your take on this? Hey, I love the walking condominium. Uh, this match did happen multiple times across the country. Uh, this was when Vince really had the super heavyweights and was pushing the super heavyweights. These guys weren't just heavyweights. They were super heavyweights. Bundy was 400 plus. Andre was billed at 500. Uh, and I, I probably believe it because these two guys were huge. So Andre always won unless Stud came out and Heenan came out and got involved. I think it's the same way. Andre was just, he was the first international superstar for wrestling andre booked himself in international matches he didn't just travel from territory to territory in the states he was in europe uh he he was all across south america i mean he was just a draw wherever he went so it's andre all the way all right agreed all right so now we're in the sweet 16 matchup of this bracket we got andre versus sergeant slaughter what's your take on this matchup Whoo boy i too of my old school favorites, I love them both. Uh, but I think Andre gets booked to win. 
over uh, this one. Just uh, too much of a draw, too much uh, international superstardom. I mean, he, he brought the international flavor to WWF uh, to help Vince's whole push. I mean, Vince started out just trying to take over nationally, right? He started trying to buy out territories and things like that. And when he got Andre in his corner, as you know, a lot of people give Hogan the credit for that. And, and hey, I'm a, the biggest Hulkamaniac there is, but Andre started the push for international superstardom in WWF. I think that he already had that flavor, already had that fan base, and that drew people to start paying attention to WWF early on. Right. So Andre, Andre goes over here for me. I, I agree. Um, I mean, I just don't think <clears throat> I, I don't think you can push Sergeant Slaughter over Andre. I think Andre is just too physically imposing. And even in the beginning of the '80s, I mean, Andre was still a pretty agile guy. I mean, I, oh, I was yeah. watching a tape of him and versus Abdul the Butcher like in 1983, and Andre wasn't really. I mean, he was. He was not near as overweight as he was like once you got to WrestleMania three and stuff, but still moving around good. Had that wild hair. Um, I mean, very very talented wrestler. Um, so I still go with Andre as well. So we move him along, and now we have Hogan versus Goldberg. What's your take on this one? You're oh, you're, you're a mark for both. So I'm a huge uh, mark for both. Hogan's body of work is just too much. I mean, Hogan started in the late 70s. Of course, he started, you know, and it, with meager success like the rest of them. Back then, you know, they had a saying. It went something like 500 miles up and 500 miles back for $25. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people that don't know Hogan and a lot of the boys in the back that uh, didn't really pay attention think that Hogan didn't pay his dues to get to where he was. But, man, if you look at his body of work, uh, Hogan started out uh, very meager. He was called Sterling Golden. He worked his way up. He did a lot of those road trips for $25, as, as they alluded to in that old saying. And, you know, Hogan come out as, uh, what was it, Hulk Boulder or something like that? Terry he, Boulder. The first, the first time he went through uh, Memphis, and then he also did an early stint with the WWWF, uh, where I think he went under a different name. It might have been Sterling Golden, or he might have done Hulk Boulder or something like that. And then he went back through Memphis, where he and Lawler had their famous uh, match, where Lawler beat him. And uh, then Hogan went to AWA, which is where he honed his craft. And he also did some time in Japan early on, and they loved him over there. And uh, Vern Gagne kind of worked with Hogan, and Hogan got big and actually had a run for the title and actually beat Nick Bockwinkle, but got it pulled from him on some kind of a uh, technicality. I can't remember uh, how it happened, but uh, uh, soon after that uh, time frame was in between times and Hogan went to, uh, I think WWF as a heel and then went and did the picture for uh, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky three and uh, uh, against Vince McMahon's wishes or against Vern Gagne's wishes, whoever he was with at the time. I can't even remember. But uh, that brought wrestling to the forefront, and I think that that movie did Hogan a lot of good. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When he came, yeah, when he came back, he was on fire then. And then he did a face turn at, at w he may have left AWA and went to WWF after that, and then that's when he had his run, and it's all history from there. Hogan has a lot, a huge body of work, 
I think strictly on that alone and carrying the belt for what was it, three straight years in WWF and, and carrying that company on his back for a decade, basically, uh, and then coming over and, and changing the world of professional wrestling with the NWO and all that. Because let's face it, Nash and Hall coming over, that was a big pop. That was good. But when Hogan come out as the third member of NWO, they went bananas, and that company was on fire. That's yeah. when WWF started losing week in and week out for nearly two years straight. And 100% of that is Hogan because nobody expected Hogan to do that heel turn like he did. So Hogan reinvented himself. He, he was beyond – he transcended the business in the 80s. And then he turned around and reinvented himself in the 90s and did it again. So like him or not, whether he's got in-ring skill or not, he's the man. So Hogan goes over Goldberg. I, I agree. I mean, I, I just don't think you can say it any better. Um, Hogan was the face of wrestling for the 80s. I mean, may, maybe with Ric Flair in the South. But, I mean, anybody, if you ask, hey, who's your favorite wrestler – it was either Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair. Um, just made it mainstream. On that with Rocky, um, that film was in 1982, so he was still in AWA with um, with Vern Gagne. And I did watch his matches with uh, Nick Bockwinkle recently, just to you know kind of study up on it more. They were they were really good matches, and Hogan could could do the moves and stuff. And uh, you know Bockwinkle was a smaller guy, and Hogan could still uh, go and put him over. I think the promos were just um, fantastic. I mean, his charisma is off the chart. Uh, and it's interesting. They were doing an interview with Greg Gagne about AWA and Hogan's period and stuff. And when he left to go to WWF, they were actually getting ready to bring in Andre for a run with Hogan in AWA because apparently Vince McMahon uh, Sr. at the time would allow um, Andre to go to different territories just for a little bit of time because the thing with Andre is they didn't, Andre's matches were kind of the same thing over and over, and so they, they were kind of sporadic in how they would use him so he wouldn't get um, stale. And right. uh, so that was interesting. Uh, but when he came to WWF and got the title from the Iron Sheik, I mean, I think he actually held that title for about four years because he lost it. I think he lost it to the Macho Man. And, of course, then you have the battle with the Mega Powers. Um but you know, you don't without Hulk Hogan, you don't have Saturday Night's main event. I mean, WrestleMania doesn't go over with without Hulk Hogan. Um, and once WrestleMania started, you know that changed wrestling because I mean that was that time when NWA had um, Starcade and when they started that in '83. I mean that was classic. But yep, you know if if WrestleMania had failed, you don't know what would have happened with the wrestling industry. But it it didn't. It was a major success and. You know, we're still doing WrestleMania to this day. So I agree, Hogan definitely uh, over Goldberg, which sets so up. To talk, so to talk about when Hogan lost the belt again real quick, Hogan actually lost the belt to Andre in the infamous Hebner twin debacle on a, it wasn't a Saturday night's main event. It was called the main event. And I think they actually had it on a Friday night, which was a rare occasion. And Andre handed the belt to the million dollar man. Oh, that, that's right. That's right. So if, if anybody hasn't seen that one, go back because it is hilarious because nobody knew that Dave Hebner had a twin. Yeah. Or Earl Hebner, whoever it was. Yeah. 
wanted to find that on my, let's see here, WWF. Uh, yep, he was a world heavyweight champion. That is right. I, I stand corrected. So, well, speaking of Hogan and Andre, here we are. Elite Eight <laughs> matchup, Hogan and Andre, rematch of WrestleMania 3's main event. Yep. You know, two of the, the real legends of the sport. Um, and I think, I mean, I like both of them. Um, going on our rules of who is better in the 80s or 90s, I, I think I definitely have to go with Hulk Hogan on that because Andre was pretty much done by 89. But I think even if you're going with overall their career, I, I still think you pick Hogan here because, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, without Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan took wrestling to a, a completely different level in the 80s and continued that and helped it continue in the 90s with the Attitude Era. And while Andre was just a tremendous draw and talent and, you know, such an important figure in the world of professional wrestling, I, I just don't see how you can pick him to go over Hulk Hogan. I have to agree 100%. As everybody knows, I'm a Hulkamaniac for life, uh, but I do not want to undersell the importance of Andre in the world of professional wrestling and no. the international international flavor that he brought because he was the first to do that. He was the first global superstar, and as far as global popularity, he was very instrumental for WWF getting to where it is today. Uh, I just don't want to undersell that. But uh, Hogan and Andre, a lot of people, again, I keep talking about casual fans because I think you and I are much more than than casual. Uh, they had faced off several times before WrestleMania three, which as a kid, you know, before I got really into the history of wrestling, I did not know that. I thought WrestleMania three was their first time, but. Uh, I think it may have been under AWA or it may have actually even been WWWF. I think it was AWA where they had the infamous Shea Stadium outdoor match, uh, which was the first time Hogan slammed Andre in front of uh, everybody on television and, and all that. But that was a much younger, leaner Andre. He was probably at 75 to 100 pounds lighter. Uh, again, I think that, that match took place maybe in 1980. Uh, maybe 81. Uh, so that leads me to believe it was, it was uh, AWA. Cause I think that was when Hogan was with them, but uh, these two guys, you know, they were infamous wherever they went. They tore the house down wherever they went, sold out, you know, but Hogan's body of work is just too much, man. He just, he carried the WWF for a decade on his shoulders. Then he turned around and, and brought the C WCW up to superstar status uh, in the mid nineties. So it's Hogan all the way. I, I agree. All right, so Hogan joins Dusty Rhodes in our final four in the singles bracket. So since we've been going at this for a while, we'll take a quick break for our fans. That way you can hit pause on the, the podcast and do whatever you need to do. Take a little break. We're going to come back. We're going to finish the other half of the, the bracket on this, uh, this breakdown. So I hope you guys have been enjoying it so far. I know we have, and it's – Going a long time, but that's what happens when you got so many superstars that you know deserve our our attention and discussion. So we'll be back in just a second. All right, so we're back to our bracket challenge here, talking about '80s and '90s wrestling, 
And we are now to the bracket with The Undertaker, and we're starting with a second-round matchup of Undertaker versus Kane. Wow. Great matchup. We've seen it a lot in WWE. Uh, so, Scott, what's your take on a battle between Undertaker and his brother Kane? So this one is a classic matchup. Obviously, this one has happened a hundred times uh, on main events across WWF, uh, WWE. We're talking about bodies of work with these wrestlers. Uh, you know, even if you just go with WWF, Undertaker is wildly popular and the, the stuff of legend. But let's turn it up a notch for the Kane fans uh, to back up my argument here. Uh, Mark Callis did a lot of work in WCW. I thought he was fantastic in WCW. He showed a lot of promise there. Uh, early WCW didn't push him in the, the manner that they could have or should have. Had they built him differently and uh, pushed him differently maybe a whole different world in professional wrestling right now i think undertaker had you know that character that guy had that much impact i mean maybe mark callis was pushed more maybe he became a world heavyweight champion in wcw then what you know is wcw still around i mean one guy could have made that much difference uh undertaker had a lot of work in the 80s, uh, mid to late 80s, as Master of Pain. Uh, he Wasn't that his gimmick in WCCW? He was Master of Pain over there. Or uh, what, what was he called, Texas Red or something else over there? Yeah, he was Texas Red and World Class. Um, I think Mark Master Calloway a bit Master of Pain in Memphis. Yeah. So by the time Undertaker came around in at the Survivor Series in 90, he'd already had, you know, a pretty good run. I mean, he'd already been in the world of professional wrestling several years. He had some pretty good experience, uh, very athletic guy. And then, of course, what, what he's done as The Undertaker and reinvented himself how many times now as The Undertaker. I mean, he went from Undertaker to American Badass to Big Evil to, you know, all the different versions of that uh, and it takes a real superstar to be able to recreate themselves so undertaker gets this one uh pretty pretty easily i think because kane's body of work <laughs> is isaac yankum which is the weird dentist <laughs> and and kane <laughs> and that's about it which he's fabulous as kane and did great and he was a certified monster all honesty i thought he was scarier than the undertaker because when kane come out as kane he was bigger. I mean, the guy looked like he could bench press a thousand pounds. Undertaker was never really known for his muscular physique as much. I mean, he was a big guy and strong guy and in shape. But when Kane first come out, go back and look at the the uh, recordings or the matches. Man, he was swole. I mean, this guy was huge and uh, just as athletic as Undertaker and and just as big and you know all that. But Undertaker goes over just for the entire body of work and and length of career it's undertaker i agree um i mean i i don't see how you you not go with undertaker here based on his longevity and impact on the business um i i think the match though would be really really good i mean like you said we've seen it many times 
But you got two guys, you know, six nine, six ten. I think Kane's even taller, um, who can just move. I mean, that the agility for those guys was fantastic. I, like I mentioned earlier in the uh, podcast, I'll never forget at that Hell in the Cell in St. Louis in the Kiel Center, where literally, I mean, the lights went off. It ever the red lights came on, and this guy, the 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 fire came out, and this guy just comes and rips the door handle off of. The, the cage comes in and tombstones the Undertaker, and Shawn Michaels walks out of the hell in the cell. Um, I mean, it was an amazing entrance by Kane. I think he's a really good wrestler, but at the end of the day, he he does not have the career that the Undertaker has, so we're moving the Undertaker along here. So, moving on to another matchup here that, wow, I mean, you know, the, the matchups we're going to see in this second round, um, they're, they're just getting tougher and tougher and as, as we get into the Sweet 16, but... This one right here, Dr. Death Steve Williams versus Nikita Koloff. What do you take on that match? That'd be a match I'd pay to see right now. Uh, these two guys are two of my favorite old school guys. Uh, I'm a definitely a Nikita Mark. I, I've always loved Nikita. He was one of my favorite bad guys when I first started actually pulling for the heels when I was kind of becoming a teenager and, and things like that and started appreciating the heels. Uh Dr. Death, uh, body of work. I mean, he's just an amazing athlete. He was a heck of a collegiate athlete. Uh, man, I mean, it's a tough one overall. My heart wants to go with Nikita. Uh, overall success, if you count Japan and all that, though, Dr. Death may have him on that. So it's tough. I'm going with Nikita. I'll, I could go either way. So I'm going to lean on what you, you come up with. Well, I, I agree with Nikita on this. Um, I, I think that period where Nikita was in NWA from mid-90s, I'm sorry, mid-80s to the end of 88, I mean, that was a, a good four-year stretch there that he was just dominant. Um, I mean, he wasn't the champion Rick, um, over Ric Flair, but he had just some great matches with Magnum TA, with Dusty, uh, then when he turned face and had the battles with Dusty uh, in the Road Warriors. Uh, well, actually, he had the battle with the Road Warriors as the Russians, but then when they had the battles with the Horsemen, I mean, I thought Nikita was over. Um, he was great. I thought he had more um, championship caliber than Dr. Death. He held more titles. Um, so I agree with uh, Nikita going over here. I think it would be a great matchup, though, because you got two big, strong guys there. Um, they, they'd really sell it well, uh, and I agree. I'd, I'd love to see that match, too. But we're going to go with Nikita Koloff here. So, boy, look at this matchup coming up here. We got Scott Steiner versus Big Van Vader. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. I I, yeah, this one, this one is. <laughs> so, I don't know if it, that one actually ever happened, but I do recall a Rick Steiner versus Vader matchup, and it was a great match. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever seen that one or not. But that was a uh, singles match that was actually a good match. And it was, you know, Rick Steiner didn't do a lot of singles work uh, at that time and standpoint. I think it, he was still part of the Steiner tag team. And for somehow or another, they got booked. It was Vader versus Rick Steiner. Good, good match. Uh, Scott Steiner versus Vader, you know, man, I, this one's tough because – the Steiner brothers got together like what, 89, late eighties. Yeah. Uh, and they were a, just a awesome tag team. Scott Steiner became big Papa pump and around 97 ish. Uh, and I loved that turn at the beginning. 
Uh, like I said, it ran its course by the late nineties, early two thousands. I was kind of over it, uh, until he, uh, came over to WWE and took on triple H. I kind of liked that little storyline, but, uh, man, Vader in the late eighties, early nineties was just a monster though, man. I, and his Japan, uh, work is just unmatched. I, this is tough because I'm a huge Scott Steiner fan and a huge Vader fan. This this was one of the tougher ones for me. Uh, man, I I almost have to go Vader. I hate to say it, but I have to. I think I have to go Vader over Scott Steiner. I, I'm going Vader over Steiner. I think uh, I think Vader was just so dominant um, in that period of, in NWA, uh, WCW. I mean, just amazing, and the fact of him being such a big guy and doing that the flip off the rope and um i think it'd be a great match though because i one of the things i really like about scott steiner like i mentioned earlier he's one of these guys i mean he was a big guy and when he was doing the frankensteiner and all that stuff i mean his technical skills were just fantastic coming from his amateur background in michigan but i just think vader would just be too big um for him and i think you know while big papa well, big papa pump did have a, a good run at the end. I didn't really like that character as much, and I was always a Vader fan, so I, I think I'll go with Vader as well. For, now, for the wrestling fans out there, keep in mind, this is not the 97-98 Vader that was fat and out of shape. This was more like the 88-89-90-92-ish 90 Vader that was just a machine. If you mm. don't know what we're talking about, go back and watch the videos. Yeah. But I love Vader, and, and for our Steiner fans out there, Rick Steiner is in our uh, bracket that we're going to get to next week, which we considered him more of the middleweights. We put him in like with Paul Orndorff in a first-round matchup, so that, that should be a good one to, to debate. But So Rick Steiner is not being forgotten here. Um, but yeah, all right, so Vader moves along. Next matchup, we got Sid Vicious versus The Rock. What do you take? What's your take on this one? I think this would have been a great matchup in the early nineties of Sid versus the uh, late nineties, early two thousands rock. I think it could have been billed as a main event anywhere in the, in the, not just the country in the world. Uh, however, we're going with bodies of work. Uh, we're going with success. I think that, I think you have to put the rock over Sid on this one and i hate it because i love sid but the rock was just too good on the mic and in the late 90s the rock was on fire you had stone cold on one side and rock on the other and they were just running the, the company at the time mm -hmm. and that and for the rock that carried on over into the early 2000s he kept going with that run you know until he finally leaped out and went to uh, hollywood but uh and the rock has come back and been successful you know even later so I, I think you got to go with the rock here just for a pure success and just complete, completely being over with the crowd and things. I agree. And I, I think the thing with the rock as well is, um, I mean, I, the rock like him or not, as far as character, he put, he put people in the stands. He was a huge draw and he really improved a lot. Uh, when he, from when he first came in as Rocky, my to becoming the rock. I mean, it's pretty, a pretty dramatic change because I remember when he came in as Rocky Maivia and I I really didn't like his his character at all and then he joined the Nation of Domination and 
you know, he started to get better and this and that. And I, I don't know. I just didn't like it when he started to overshadow Ron Simmons. But, I mean, like it or not, The Rock is a, is a true star, and he's got that charisma that's just overflowing. And uh, Sid could have that too, but I just think going back to Sid, as, as physically imposing as he was, and I think with Sid, I think he could – he could handle anybody from a physical standpoint. I mean, he was just a, a physical specimen. Um, but, you know, he just he wasn't the big draw uh, consistently that The Rock was. And he had injuries from time to time. But And it's kind of one of those guys, it's like, you know, you really don't think he achieved his full potential as a wrestler. But I think you can say The Rock achieved his full potential as a wrestler. So I, I agree. I think The Rock transcended his potential as a wrestler, to be honest with you. He yeah. overachieved. Uh, you know, and, and I agree 100% that the Rocky Mavia character was terrible. But this, there is a consistent trend with these guys that, are, that become just legends. And The Rock is one of them. He was able to recreate himself multiple times to get to and, and to stay relevant. You know, to mm-hmm. get relevant and stay relevant. He come in as Rocky Mavia. It was a terrible gimmick. It didn't go over. He recreated himself. He started becoming up. Then he transcended the nation of domination, right? He started getting too popular to stay with them. And then he uh, recreated himself again and just kept, you know, kept changing and, and moving up and then just kept honing his craft and just got just hot. The yeah. hottest ticket in WWE. Yeah, so I, I agree. Rock goes over here over Sid Vicious. So... Now we have The Rock versus Vader. Wow. What a matchup. What a matchup. I mean, I'm telling you as a fan, if I'm sitting in the stands, I'm rooting for Vader 100% on this. I, I'm i not really a, a Rock fan, but, you know, some people are going to say, hey, you know, The Rock is one of the um, most popular wrestlers ever. When you mention a wrestler today, I mean, they probably say Hogan, Flair, Stone Cold, or The Undertaker, or The Rock. I mean, Vader does not have a name recognition with a common uh, wrestling, passive wrestling fan that, that Vader does. But I got to tell you, Vader in his prime at this time, I mean, there was nobody any better. I mean, even Hogan aside, I mean, Vader was, was the best champion, really, from a physical dominance standpoint in the 80s and 90s. It's from a physical dominance standpoint, well, maybe... It, I don't know. Maybe I'll take that back. I mean, Undertaker, from a physical dominance standpoint, is right up there. But, I mean, Vader was just rough and tough and just this kind of athlete you hadn't seen, really, until Undertaker, I guess. I mean, what, what's your take on this? Because it's, it's a heck of a matchup. I love the matchup with Vader and The Rock, but this is like 99 Rock versus 92 Vader. and Or maybe even like 1990 vader and this is when vader's coming down the ramp with the headdress and the shoulder pads on he was just freaking scary because he was such a monster i'm i'm with you i'm if i'm in the stands i'm pulling for vader just because i loved him as that unstoppable machine but overall body of work uh by 99 the rock was just so hot i mean there was nothing that could touch him the closest thing was stone cold and he was right up there neck and neck with him and they were just running rough shot 
over the world of professional wrestling at the time. And like I said, The Rock, of course, a lot of his work kind of carried over into the early 2000s, but he was already so hot by 99 that they weren't touching him. And unfortunately, as bad as I hate to say it, you got to go with The Rock here just because of the, the success and the body of work. But, you know, I, that doesn't mean I'm not pulling for Vader in the stands. Yeah. You know, I guess to debate that a little bit further about overall, um, you know, push and, and things like that, if you think about Vader's time as champion of WCW, in fairness, that was a period where they were really struggling, um, you know, with, with um, bringing in the revenue and stuff. I mean, Flair was in WWF for a, a good portion of that time. So Vader came in, and they, they were really struggling. But when The Rock was the champion and, and doing that all that stuff with Stone Cold, they were packing arenas left and right. So from a, a Booker standpoint, The Rock brings in more revenue. Man, I, I, think, I agree with you. I think it's kind of hard to, to not go for The Rock when we're looking at overall um, you know, what you bring to the ring. Because the thing about The Rock is even if you didn't like his character – he was good in the ring. I mean, he could move, had agility. Um, he could wrestle many different styles. He had good ring psychology, uh, we, like we mentioned, excellent on the mic. So uh, as well-rounded of a wrestler as you could really ask for. Um, yep. So, yeah, I guess we'll move The Rock along here. But, boy, yeah, I, I really like Vader, though. I really like Vader. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Vader fan. I've always been. Uh, and, you know, to add to the Rock's accolades that we were just talking about, one thing about the Rock, too, is, I mean, man, he was one of these big superstars, but he could go. I mean, he could go 20, 30 minutes yeah. and could carry the match, and you wouldn't be bored. I mean, it, you know, a lot of the superstars that were huge at that time, 10 minutes and out, maybe 15 tops, he could carry a match longer than that and, and do like the old-style Ric Flair you know, I don't know that The Rock ever went 60 minutes, but The Rock could go in there and go for a good 20 to 30 minutes and tell the story, and you wouldn't be tired of the match. You you would be on edge of your seat. So yeah. you got to give him that, too. All right, so we have The Rock going over Vader, and we have The Undertaker versus Nikita Koloff. Now, I will say this in this matchup. Well, I think this would be a really good matchup, but I, and we've been, we've been a homer for Nikita Koloff, but I think this is where... Uh, his he, he runs into uh, the dead man, and I think he's going to rest in peace in this match because I, I just don't see how we can take Nikita over the Undertaker here. Now, early, late 80s, early 90s, Nikita versus Mark Callis. Nikita all day. Well, yeah, but, I mean, but looking at where the Undertaker, Undertaker was. You just, you, and, again, this goes into the body of work, right? We gave Undertaker or Mark Calloway his his credits by doing tours of duty in Memphis and WCCW, uh, things of that nature. I mean, he had a long or a decent career going on before he became the undertaker. And then his body of work as the undertaker has been just unbelievable. Nikita was in the business for what a decade, not maybe even, not even that really like away. seven years. So yeah. Gotta say that was basically his, his body of work was a decade and you know undertaker has the longevity over it the success over it so i mean just in that 
conversation or that piece of the puzzle, you got to give it to Undertaker. And of course, Undertaker is wildly popular. He has a a following like crazy. So yeah, I I agree. I mean, I I don't think it's even really really close. I mean, I I love Nikita Koloff, but when you're talking about the Undertaker, you're talking about a guy that once he got to the WWF and then eventually WWE. I mean, just a a, a tremendous star, a top guy for the entire time he was there. Um, and uh, even though he's still, you know, going at 52 years old or whatever, I mean, when The Undertaker shows up, he still gets a pop. And it, and it's, you know, pretty remarkable that, uh, you know, he stayed with his gimmick and he learned and transcended and became a huge star. So that takes us to a, a matchup that we've seen before, Undertaker versus Rock. Who are you going to take in this match? <laughs> Whoa, boy. This is a good one here. Yeah. So, uh, man, 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 man. And I can't wimp out by using the body of work of 80s and 90s because The Rock was hot by late 90s. And, uh, man. Well, you want me to go first on this one? Go first. Go, go, go for it. I'm definitely taking The Undertaker because I, I didn't like The Rock's character. I, I just did not, I was not a rock fan at all, um, and I I like The Undertaker, I think The Undertaker had better moves, I mean, the fact when he was walking the ropes and doing all that stuff was great, um, I, I just think The Undertaker was um, such, such a great um, wrestler and such a great character, and I, I just don't see how I can pick him to lose over... Uh, over the rock so i'm not a big mark for either one i liked mark callus better than i liked undertaker and i know that's not a popular decision by any means uh i loved him as a skyscraper i thought he should have got a bigger push in wcw i like that character i love the heart punch he was walking the ropes then before he ever became the undertaker uh, showing off his athleticism and things of that nature. This is probably where we need our third partner in crime on this one because I would pick The Rock over The Undertaker and we would need a tiebreaker. So, uh, but I, I'll lean your way because it could go either way. Uh, I know Undertaker's followers are going to say him and The Rock's followers are going to say him. The one thing that can break the tie for me is the length of career. Mm-hmm. Undertaker had a longer career in the 80s and 90s than The Rock. I think The Rock debuted, what, 95-ish, 96-ish? Well, I think it was even earlier than that. I think it was more like 93. I mean, because he, he was Rocky Maivia for a couple of years before, because uh, he was with the Nation of Domination like in 95, I think. But, I know. Um, I, I saw them in... Uh, Southern Missouri. What's the name of that town? Uh, Cape Girardeau. Cape Girardeau. I saw him in Cape Girardeau, uh, the Nation of Domination, and The Rock was with him. And this was in 96, if I'm not mistaken. 96, maybe 97. I think it was actually 97. Uh, so I didn't I, I didn't know. I thought Rocky Mavia came out in like 95 and maybe lasted a year, and then they repackaged him and brought him back out with the uh, nation. Yeah, let's see here. He actually, he debuted in 96. Really? Yeah, 96. 
So it was later than we thought. Yeah, it was. I thought he was around earlier. Well, I, I just, for me... Um, so that, bring, that, that does bring to my point, though. Undertaker had more of a run in the 80s and 90s lengthwise, and he was successful in another company moderately. So I, I, can, I can go with The Undertaker on that. But overall, I, I would have chosen The Rock. Right. That, that's interesting from an overall, because even if it, we're talking overall, I'm, I'm still going Undertaker. Let me ask you this question then. Um, since The Rock did really start in 96, let's go back to that Vader matchup. Does that change your opinion on, on Vader versus The Rock for purposes of our analysis when we're looking at 80s and 90s? I don't think so, because by 99, The Rock was dead even with Stone Cold, and he was on fire. And, they, you know, he was already doing, like, the Rock and Sock connection and was already going for the belts and already had held a belt, I think, by then. And uh, I, I think not. I think I still go with The Rock over Vader just because of the, the late, late 90s popularity that he had. Yeah, you know a matchup I'd love to see would be Undertaker versus Vader. I think that, that would be that would be dynamite. Well, who would you take in that matchup? Fan wise, I'd be I'd be with Vader. Yeah, I probably would too, from a fan's perspective. And I think that they made that matchup happen, but there again, it was WWF WWE uh, Vader, which was in the late nineties, and he had gotten overweight. His age was catching up to him. He he was not the beast that he was six seven years earlier than that or eight years earlier than that yeah if it was 1989 90 vader versus you know undertaker whoo that'd be a tough one yeah no it would so all right undertaker is now in the final four with uh hogan and dusty Rhodes. so we have a theme going of our number one seeds are making it all the way to the the final four we didn't have that as much with the tag team tournament but we'll see what happens in our next bracket all right, our matchup in the second round in the Stone Cold Steve Austin bracket is Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Ron Simmons. Um, I guess to to borrow a phrase from good old Jr., this would be what we would call a slobber knocker. <laughs> this would be a match for the ages. I would I would love to see this one. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think uh, their paths ever crossed. Did Farouk and Stone Cold ever go at it? I don't recall that. Did I miss you know, that? I don't know. I was sitting here thinking that. I mean, I think they probably had to at some point. Um, I'm not real sure. But um, I, I th- there again, too, did Stunning Steve and uh, Ron Simmons cross paths in the early '90s? I mean, that's I'm, a I'm sure. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did because um, in NWA, I mean, Ron Simmons was primarily in the early '90s. He was a face uh, right. as a singles wrestler, so I'm sure they did. Um, well, I tell you what, I mean, these are two of my favorite wrestlers. I, I enjoy their styles, um, and I'll look at it just from a complete... I mean, I have it as Stone Cold Steve Austin, but for purposes of this evaluation, I'd, I, I'm i still looking at his run as Stunning Steve. Um, I'm still going with, with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin here, because at Stunning Steve, he was good uh, when he became Stone Cold. I mean, he... And really, he became Stone Cold like in 96, but the, right. but the Stone Cold theme didn't really get super hot until he had that match in WrestleMania with Bret Hart. And Bret Hart ended up winning that match. But, man, I mean, that run that he had in WWE was just, it it was unbelievable. And I don't know, 
I think it's a good debate to say whether that was greater than Hulkamania. It wasn't as long as Hulkamania, but man, I mean, the Stone Cold 316 and the um, the the shirts and the the Steve Weisers and the beer drinking. I mean, he was like a perfect um, uh, character for the the college age male watching wrestling on Monday night. Yep. I mean, I I remember. Um, you know, my my neighbors and stuff would that would come over and watch wrestling, they're like, Yeah, hand me a Steve Weiser over there. <laughs> so <laughs> That's exactly right. Because one of our friends was named Steve, but anyway, uh but he was such a an over character. I mean, and he'd be the first to tell you, you know, once he hurt that uh hurt his neck in that match with Owen Hart, he became more of a brawler. And Ron Simmons was that that way too. But I just don't see how I can pick Stone Cold to lose over Ron Simmons, even though I'm a huge Ron Simmons fan. And if this was a, a real street fight out in the alley, I'd probably go with Ron Simmons. Oh, all, all day long. All day long. One of the few people that the Steiners didn't uh, mess with or bully in the locker room was Ron Simmons, and there was a reason for that. Yeah. So you hear about, like, even Kevin Nash, as cocky as he is, he talks about he never messed with the Steiners because he knew that he would get tossed around or stretched or – you know, they called it stretch, so it means the guys would put you in a move in the locker room and not let you out of it. And uh, uh, the Steiners were notorious for bullying guys in the locker room, and the one guy that they never messed with in that WCW time frame was Ron Simmons. <laughs> yeah. And there was a reason. Well, so, and think about his feuds with uh, Vader. I mean, when, he, when Ron Simmons won the NWA world title, it was over Vader. Those guys had some great matchups, and Ron Simmons was a brick house. He was big enough and strong enough to match up with Vader and and handle him. I mean, he could toss Vader around a little bit. So, uh, and that's unusual with a guy that's 400 pounds. So, uh, Ron Simmons was the guy. I loved him. I, I was a huge fan as well. But you just can't deny Stone Cold, especially in the mid to late 90s. Man, that guy was on fire. Yeah. So, Stone Cold goes over here. But uh, I think it would be a heck of a matchup. I think it would be would have been awesome to see them. Yeah, I agree. All right, next matchup we have Haku versus Triple H. What's your take on this match? Uh, I think it's hands down, again, if you talk about an alley fight or a street fight or a bar fight, Haku with no problem. But if you're talking about pure wrestling uh, and by popularity and body of work and success, Triple H – by far on this one that's an easy one yeah i i agree yeah i mean I, I i loved haku but like we mentioned earlier he was really more of a a mid-card guy just a, a good solid performer but other than uh some tag team titles i mean never really had uh singles titles and yeah he, he had that fun run as king haku which i thought was fun against hacksaw jim duggan right but, um you know uh I, I just don't see how you can take him over triple h because triple h was with DX was just a real innovator and um, really just started to become a, a real elite star in those late 90s. Agreed. All right, next matchup. Probably the least sexiest matchup of all these second-round matchups we've had. We've got Blackjack, Blackjack Mulligan versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. Not, no, not much charisma here. Not a whole lot of high, no high-flying. This is just old-school wrestling. <laughs> I think would be the right term for that. So, what's what's your take on this with Blackjack Mulligan and uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine? So, 
again, I'm going to reference our 80s, 90s rules and boundaries on this. I think Greg Valentine from the early 80s to the late 80s had more success and was more of a household name than Blackjack. Blackjack, a lot of his success was in the 70s. By the time it rolled over into the 80s, yeah, he probably still had some good matches. Uh, and maybe my timing's off, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think by the time the 80s rolled around, he kind of uh, ran his, his character kind of ran its course. I think he was kind of coming out of it. And uh, I remember Black Jack Mulligan, uh, the first time that I saw a live WWF event was either 85 or 86. He was in a bunkhouse uh, battle Royal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I don't think he won. Maybe he didn't No, leap and Lanny actually won that cause he wore the suit of armor, but, uh, blackjack was a tough guy there, but he was not like one of your main, main names. So, uh, I think Greg Valentine goes over, which I can't believe that Greg Valentine's making it to the freaking <laughs> elite eight or sweet 16, wherever we are here. Uh, well, just like just like we said, you know, you and Christian say you quote Gorilla Monsoon. Well, you know, the hammer doesn't get warmed up until after twenty minutes or thirty minutes. Well, here he goes. He's just war- getting warmed up in the Sweet Sixteen now. That's right, <laughs> with the le- with the shin guard and and everything, I guess. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm putting Valentine over Blackjack, and and the reason being is I'm going with he was Intercontinental Champion tag champion with one of the great tag teams from the 80s i love the dream team thought they were a great team and deserved a longer run or at least another run and like the early 80s matches with the dog collar with uh the piper feud that they had in nwa was was awesome and if guys haven't seen it go back and and watch the video of that so greg valentine for me i agree and um you know blackjack mulligan kind of reminds me of wahoo mcdaniel in this bracket where you know, both guys were really super over in the 70s, but from what I remember from Jack, Black Jack Mulligan in the 80s, he was still a, a an important guy, but he wasn't, you know, he was, he was mid-card, uh, upper mid-card. And, right. you know, he wasn't necessarily battling Hogan for the titles in WWF. I mean, he, uh, he wasn't at Sergeant Slaughter level at that point, so... And I, I think with Valentine, I agree. Um, you know, his Intercontinental Championship battles with Tito Santana were were excellent. And the matches in NWA early with, with Roddy Piper and Ric Flair and Jimmy Snook, I mean, he, w- he was one of their top guys in that mid-Atlantic region. So I don't, I don't have a problem there. But I think when you're talking overall career, you know, Black Jack, may get, Black Jack Mulligan may get the nod over Greg the Hammer. Um, yeah. just for longevity, but, you know, he also was very successful in that tag team with Black Jack Lanza, so kind of hard right. to tell. I, I think at the end of the day, though, um, I agree with Greg Valentine going over based on the, the rules for our our bracket here. All right, next matchup, we have Big Boss Man versus Bruiser Brody. What do you take on, what's your take on this match? Because I got to be honest, I mean, you know, I guess Brody should be the easy answer here, but I don't think it's his really that slam dunk. I, I really like the big boss man. It's not an easy slam dunk, and as far as a worker goes and things like that, big boss man is probably the better worker and uh, easier to work with. Uh, but popularity and cult following uh, kind of makes you lean towards uh, Bruiser Brody. Right. Uh, 
I, it's kind of a tough one. If if Brody was paired up with, you know, a, a bigger name here besides Big Boss Man, I think it would be uh, a no-brainer. But I love Big Boss Man. He was a great heel, good athlete, under underrated, good worker, uh, good on the mic, uh, you know. And he main evented a lot with Hogan and all that, but he just never – he was a face for a short time, and he was just never completely over as that uh he did okay but i i think the cult following and and popularity there has has to make you go with brody uh it's kind of a weird thing because brody's gonna make it farther than i than i think that he should make it but uh i think just the matchup favored him yeah this one. yeah um i agree i think you know with, with bruiser brody i i got familiar with him with all the work he did in world class where he was with the Von Erichs and held several six-man titles with them, or he'd be uh, paired up with Kerry Von Erich and Tags, or he'd, you know, battle the Great Kabuki or Kamala. Um, I mean, he he was a big draw, highly respected name, and you know, when you go in all the wrestling podcasts and these uh, chat rooms or Facebook groups, I mean, he's always mentioned as one of one of the greats. So I, I think he goes over the big boss man here. So now. We're talking tough matchups for Bruiser Brody. He's against our our rising star here, Greg the Hammer Valentine. He's just getting <laughs> warmed up. So what's so, your take on this? Valentine has made it farther than he should have. I think this is where he goes down. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, Brody, again, just for what you just said about the you know wild following and cult following and all that uh, and his wild, wild man style – uh, you know, he had such a reputation in, in WCCW and AWA and those kind of territories and a success a mile long list in Japan uh, and South America. I, I think Brody goes over without a doubt here. I, I agree. Uh, I, I couldn't have really said any better. I mean, when I was filling out this bracket, honestly, I put Greg Valentine against Terry Funk thinking, well, yeah, you know, Terry Funk will win that. But the more we analyzed it, it was like, yeah, you know, I just really wasn't that big of a fan of Terry Funk, and it's just, I mean, you look at a guy like Greg Valentine, I mean, really, he shouldn't be going farther than uh, Barry Windham, who lost in the first round to Lex Luger, so it just all depends on the matchup, you know. Yeah, um, matchups, time frames, a lot goes into it. Yeah, because, I mean, I would, you know, just looking at the guys who lost in the first round, I mean, I would take... Um, I mean, people would take probably DDP over Greg the Hammer Valentine. Um, All day, every day. Probably Junkyard Dog over Greg the Hammer Valentine. Um, that would be a good one. I yeah. think that would be a good matchup right well, there. Well, they wrestled in uh, WrestleMania 1, and yeah. actually uh, I watched that the other day, and uh, Junkyard Dog got a win uh, on a reversal of by the official because Greg the Hammer Valentine got the pin, but he put his foot on the rope for leverage. Yeah. And that was the day when they had reverse calls, but... Um, Anyway, but I, I do think Greg Valentine is a guy that a lot of newer wrestling fans, they just don't really think of, or if they think of him, they think of the toward the end of uh, the late 80s with a honky-tonk man or his run in WCW. Agreed. So, um, all right, that moves Bruiser Brody along. And, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Boy, I tell you, you pick against Greg Valentine, all of a sudden, <laughs> karma comes after you. <laughs> 
So, all right. Um, so we got Bruiser Brody, and uh, he's going to face the winner of Stone Cold versus Triple H, a classic matchup from the late 90s in WWE. Whew, classic matchup here. Um, what's your take on this matchup? So here we go again with using the rules that we set forth. Nine, 80s and 90s, Stunning Steve was starting to get a career going in the late 80s, and he mustered up a mid-card success in a hot, you know, the second biggest company in the world, WCW, and he carried the United States Championship over there. He was in a hot tag team. He had some uh, barn burners with Ricky Steamboat uh, for the U.S. Championship. He took on some other people. Good matchups. Again, we're keeping it in the 80s and 90s. Because Triple H is a lot of his big body of work was in the early 2000s. He agreed. He got hot in the late 90s. A lot of it was as a tag team or, you know, with help from DX and things like that. And I think he did some success there in singles in the late 90s. But he carried it over more into the early 2000s and kind of picked the ball up when the Rock and Stone Cold kind of got out of the way. So if we're sticking with those rules... Stone Cold goes over because he was the hottest thing in the late nineties. I I agree. Um, I mean, for me, I just don't think there was anybody more over and more important in the the late nineties in wrestling than Stone Cold, and I I'd take him over the Rock any day of the week, um, and definitely over Triple H, even though I did like Triple H. But let me ask you this question: So, for purposes of our bracket, Stone Cold's going to move on here. But let me ask you this: You know. You were saying just from longevity and overall career. If you're just debating Stone Cold Steve Austin or st- his entire career, whether he's Stunning Steve or Stone Cold versus Triple H and you know his time as Hunter Hearst Helmsley, uh, the Triple H, and, and do you pick Triple H over Stone Cold? Because I, I don't. Even though the career for Triple H was longer, and because of that he's going to have the um, more titles and stuff, I just think Stone Cold's one of these guys that, I mean, he was just so hot and so over, and he kind of had to retire in 2003 due to that neck injury. I still think that star was so bright and uh, that I would still take Stone Cold over Triple H, even if I'm looking at his entire career. I think if you look at length of career and success, uh, that it would make it a much closer race mm-hmm. than it is for this debate currently because we're only looking at 80s and 90s and if you add the 2000s you've got to give triple h his props because man he really carried the ball after stone cold and rock got out of the way and he did a lot of that ball carrying as a heel you know which Mm -hmm. is makes it even tougher uh man it's tough because i I am a a big triple h fan a lot of people that's not going to be popular with a lot of people Hey, but you're right. The, the the star was so bright for Stone Cold, even though it only lasted a short period. I think, man, I don't know. It's the stuff of legend. But if you go with overall total success, it, I mean, it's hard to argue Triple H. Hey, man, it, it's too tough to call. I'm glad that we don't have to. Yeah. Well, my vote would still be for Stone Cold because I still think at, at the end of the day when he walks out in a WWE arena in, in 2020, he still gets a huge a huge pop. I mean, they bring him back for th- Austin three sixteen day and and all that stuff. So an interesting debate. But my vote would be for Stone Cold. So now 
to finalize this bracket, we've got Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Bruiser Brody. Two brawlers. Um, I, I'm not even sure. I think they probably faced each other in world class, but of course Brody would go over there because that was a time where he was the top guy and uh, Sto uh, Steve Austin was just getting his start. But I don't know. I, I just I can't vote against Stone Cold here. I, I, I just think he was so over and so important to the late 90s wrestling in WWE. Um, he brought that organization from potentially, I mean, they were in some hard financial times at that time, and then Stone Cold gets hot, and he, you know, along with Bret Hart and the others, just leads the way for this resurrection, and Shawn Michaels, and I, and I do feel with Brody, the fact that he was an independent guy, and he wasn't in NWA or WCW for long stretches, um, you know, he didn't have a, the world titles, which was really his choice, but just the idea of trying to be so difficult to work with and stuff, I, I do kind of hold that against him in my evaluation. Maybe I, I shouldn't, but I, I, I do. Uh, yeah. But I think he's a great wrestler. I mean, I but I just, I, I think I picked Stone Cold here. Well, I'll put it in perspective. I think if we put Triple H over Stone Cold, you still can't put Brody over Triple H. I, so that pretty much seals the deal for Stone Cold to go over to Brody in my mind, because Brody really got a little bit in, this is in my mind, my opinion only fans. He got farther here than he should have. And it was luck of the draw of the brackets, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, it, even if triple H would have got picked over stone cold, Brody wouldn't make it past him. And that's just me. I don't think that there it's even a discussion. I think stone cold wins this one hands down from sheer popularity, bright star uh, success, all that, you know, uh, changing his character, reinventing himself. I don't know that Brody could ever reinvent himself. He He's going to be Brody regardless of where he is, what he's doing. Uh, you know, I don't think that he could reinvent himself to be even more successful. And The Rock did it. Undertaker did it. Hogan did it. Uh, you know, the, all the guys that are getting far into this, had, you know, started out a certain way, reinvented themselves, come back better. I don't know that Brody can even do that. He's that guy. I mean, mm. he's just Brody <laughs> all the way through. So I, I think hands down, Stone Cold goes over. All right. Now let me ask you this, because um, I thought about putting Brody as the number two uh, seed in the bracket with The Undertaker. What would be your take on a, a match with Undertaker and, and Bruiser Brody? Because I know they they wrestled in world class when Undertaker was Texas Red, and I mean that's not really fair for discussion. But, you know, I think a Brody – Undertaker match would be really uh, uh, a great match to see because both guys six eight six nines, um, real powerhouses. What would be your take on that matchup? So I'm going to bring out a trivia thing on this one. One of Brody's proteges, by the, who was named Scott Nord from AWA, and I think he done some time in WCCW, came over to WWF. Nord the Barbarian as the berserker and he was known as nord the barbarian in some some places but he came to wwf as the berserker mm -hmm. don't know if you remember him because he was like a one year and out guy maybe two years but the berserker and undertaker had a feud and the berserker took it to the undertaker and the reason being is because the undertaker had been so dominant 
in the first couple years there, and they couldn't find anybody to match up with him. The Berserker, or Nord the Barbarian, same guy, came over and was able to size it up with uh, Mark Callis or Mark Calloway and took it to him. I mean, he even tried to kill him, but they there was an incident on an episode of maybe Superstars or one of their no, normal programs where Berserker come out with his sword and like tried to, to uh, stab Undertaker and Undertaker rolled out of the way and the sword was stuck in the ring. So he actually really punctured the ring and it stayed there and Undertaker uh, retreated. He run out of there. So I think that the Berserk or uh, the Bruiser Brody match versus Undertaker would be very similar to that. It would have been very wild. And I, I think it could have went either way, depending on where it was booked and what time, you know, what uh, time frame it was booked. I think it would have been a good one because Brody could match up size for size with uh, Mark Calloway or Undertaker, yeah. whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. So no. that if it was booked in WWF, obviously Undertaker takes it. But if it was booked anywhere else, hey, it could have been a Pier Six brawl. Right. No, I, I agree. Interesting matchup there. All right. So we're down to our final four. We got Hulk Hogan versus Dusty Rhodes, and then Undertaker versus Stone Cold. So let's start with Hogan, our overall number one seed here. Uh, in the matchup with Hogan and Dusty. What's your assessment of this match? Using the rules of 80s and 90s. A lot of Dusty's success and popularity was in the 70s. Hogan was untouchable in the 80s and recreated himself to be one of the top three or four guys again in the world of professional wrestling in the 90s. Unpopular probably with you and with a lot of the old, old school fans, but Hogan goes over Dusty. No, I, I agree with the pick. Um, I, I think... Ultimately, when you're talking about overall appeal and putting people in the seats, I mean, D Dusty was a draw, too. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. But it's just that whole Hulkamania was was too big, um, too big of a draw. And I just don't – even when Dusty went over to WWF in the early 90s, I mean, granted he was you know older and things like that, but, I mean, he was the mid-card guy to Hogan's – Star. I mean, he didn't battle Hogan for the the title and stuff, but I I just don't think. And both both of them have charisma, um, over over the top with charisma. Both could do great promos. Both could, um, you know, get that excitement into a match. They knew how to work a match. I think Dusty overall is a better technical wrestler. Um, but you know, who's to say? I mean, Hogan when he was in AWA, he he gave some technical matches it's just when he got to wwf he didn't really have to because that was more of the style i guess with with um vince mcmahon but I, I just find it hard to to pick against hogan in this in this particular matchup with dusty as good as dusty was so one thing that we didn't do is really uh build up the final four like we should have let's call out the names that are in the final four real quick You've got Hogan and Dusty on one side, which is mm -hmm. a dynamite matchup. And you've got Undertaker and Stone Cold, which is also a dynamite matchup. I mean, this is your final four, and it, I think this is a final four anywhere in the world. Yeah, I know. Um, it, it's, a, it's a good matchup. I mean, the only things I could see for some people to maybe argue on, I mean, in that bracket with Dusty, 
I mean, maybe some people they they go with um, Stan Hansen over over Booker T, or you have Harley Race over Booker T, and then you've got that Hansen matchup. But I still don't think in the '80s and '90s you can pick Dusty to lose to Stan Hansen or or Harley Race. So I still think Dusty's the right guy coming out of that bracket. I still think in Hogan's bracket he's the right guy coming out because the only person really in that bracket who should even be up for debate going over Hogan is Andre. But, I mean, I just, like we, we said, I mean, Hogan was just such a game changer in the 80s and, and 90s. I just find it hard to to argue that. And even over overall career, I mean, you know, nobody drew like Hogan did in, in this period of time. So I still think that's the right pick. Maybe some people debate about maybe The Rock over The Undertaker, maybe Vader over going in there. But, you know, The Undertaker was so solid a, a, of a performer. I, I still think that's a right pick. And some may say Stone Cold loses to Brody. But, I mean, that would be the only one, in my opinion, who he could potentially lose to in that bracket. But I still think Stone Cold is the right pick. So I, I really feel that this Final Four – is is pretty solid very solid very solid that's what i was uh saying i i think that this is a final four mm. anywhere under anybody's argument you know like you said there's a couple of matches that could have went different ways and you know we we had certain opinions but if you use our rules that we set forth which is 80s and 90s success and you go through it and really diagnose it i think we're we're pretty pretty spot on yeah so our next Final Four matchup is Undertaker versus Stone Cold. Battle of two of the three biggest stars of WWE in the 90s for sure. What's your take on this matchup? Probably ever. They're two of the top four or top five ever, probably. So, man, body of work. You got to go with Undertaker. But again, just that period between 96 and... 2003 which we're not really counting the 2000s but let's say 96 to december 31st 99 you can't go wrong with stone cold i think he was the guy i mean he carried the the company for those years and and i mean undertaker was always there he was the constant but uh i think undertaker developed even more wildly pop wild popularity when he come back in what 2000 or or whatever mm-hmm. it was 2001 as american badass because he was kind of out for a while and then come back and recreated himself. Hey, man, I don't know. Body of work. Undertaker was in WWF longer, had a longer career. Uh, it, it's tough to call, but I think I'm going stone cold here. Wow. I mean, not that I'm wild about your decision, but it was like the way you were going with that pick. It was you know, building up the Undertaker and everything and then just cut him off at the knees with a stone yep. cold stunner. Yeah. <laughs> I call it like or, I or, see it or now. Kick, uh, kick him in the gut in the stunner. Gosh, you know, this is a really tough matchup because, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, the longevity is the undertaker, but, I mean, Stone Cold, when he turned like that, as popular as the undertaker has ever been, I don't think he has ever gotten the pop that Stone Cold got when he that Stone Cold got over. I, I just don't... I, I think the only person who's ever gotten that kind of a pop from the crowd is probably Hogan in the 80s. 
of maybe his time. I mean, and, and and really not even in the 90s because when he was in the 90s, yeah, and it, his popularity was going down a little bit, but when he turned heel, of course, they were booze. But I just, I mean, a cultural phenomenon is what Stone Cold Steve Austin was. So I, I agree. I, I vote Stone Cold Steve Austin here. Let me ask you this, though, in an interesting matchup, because our final is going to be Hogan and Stone Cold. But before we get there, really, if you look at our final four, just from a physical matchup standpoint, Hogan and Undertaker is a better physical matchup because both guys are 6'8", 6'9", and then Dusty and Stone Cold, you got the two Texans going against each other, both about 6'3". So really, that's a better physical matchup. Who would you take in um, in a Hogan-Undertaker matchup in their primes so that match actually took place uh what 90 91 ish oh it did yep uh but in their prime i I still gotta go with hogan yeah i'm going with hogan on that one so hogan's in the finals there and then you know in my matchup if we had dusty versus stone cold as much as i like dusty Rhodes, i i still can't go pick him over Stone Cold just based on the reasons why I picked Stone Cold over The Undertaker. I just, I think Stone Cold was just such a um, a cultural phenomenon through there, and it's just, I mean, he was such an important person to getting WWF to succeed. I mean, because really, if you think about it, WCW was dominating for several months, and then it wasn't really until Stone Cold got over the WWE started winning the Monday Night Wars. Yep. So it was more than several months; it was almost several years. Yeah. So. But, uh, so can you imagine though? Let, let's take this one for example. Let's take a 1986 Dusty Rhodes versus like a 98 Stone Cold, each captaining a team in the War Games in WCW. Can yeah. you imagine that? No, it'd be it'd be fantastic. And I love Dusty Rhodes. I think I think Dusty Rhodes is fantastic. I just think that and, and you know, really, honestly, that's a better matchup in the final four as well, because both of them were these blue collar characters. They ap- applied uh, appeal to the common man. That's that it. that was their whole uh, shtick. Yep. So I, I just think Stone Cold was over more than Dusty. Um, in that period of time, but longevity, you know, Dusty had a better overall career, um, but it's just in that 80s and 90s, I, it's hard to, to argue against Stone Cold, but I'll say this, you know what, when you got these four guys, I mean, you're not making a bad decision either way, really. No, you're going to make somebody mad no matter what your choice is. <laughs> yeah. So, regardless. Yeah, so we're down to Hogan versus Stone Cold. Really, the WWE... FWWE icon of the 80s versus the WWF WWE icon of the 90s. Two of the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling, without question. Yeah. So, all right, what's your analysis of this matchup? It's not going to be a technical uh, thing of beauty. This is not going to be a... a <laughs> you're not going to see a lot of uh, abdominal stretches and, and figure fours and Boston Crabs and a lot of chain wrestling. I mean, this is going to be a brawl. This is the matchup that really should have happened, and Stone Cold even calls himself out about it. 
and says that he should have quit being such an egotistical maniac and sh should have just went with it because they could have drew a lot of money doing it. And The Rock had the forethought to do it when Hogan made his return, and they, they tore the house down. Right. Uh, and it's WrestleMania 18 is one of the most talked about matches. You know, even though Hogan was well past his prime, they carried that match very well. They did very well. And uh, all that. But all that said, this would be, have been an awesome match, uh, like a 97-98 Stone Cold versus an 87-88 Hogan. And I'll take it a step further. Even a, a Hogan as the leader of the black and white NWO in 96 97 versus Stone Cold in 96 97. Yeah. Would have tore, would have tore the house down. Oh, they absolutely. They would have sold out anywhere in the world. Absolutely. So, so with that being said, I'm going to go, and this is predictable because I'm a Hulkamaniac through and through. But here's my reasoning Hogan was such a star of the 80s and he reinvented himself and became one of the top four or five guys in the world of professional wrestling again in 96 because he had such heat as a heel and he ushered in the nwo which ran its course but for two years the nwo was the hottest thing going i don't care who anybody can argue whatever they want but when they came in with that and hogan was the third guy untouchable and they drew so much heat everybody wanted to see somebody kill hogan and that means he was doing his job with that being said hulk hogan's the winner well th this is a a tough debate because when you're looking at hulk hogan you're looking at a guy that even in his time in awa i mean he was very very popular over there in awa i mean he, they were drawing huge crowds with hogan in awa um, and then when he left, I mean, that was a, a major void to the AWA that really, to be honest with you, they really never recovered from that. They never had a star come in. They, they still had Nick Bockwinkle, but, I mean, um, they had a young Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, who would come on in the mid-'80s, but they never really had a big star after Hogan left them in um, that 83 period. And when he came over to WWF, it, it just changed everything with how wrestling was i mean you know they had the big intro music and all the the big events i mean um you know granted dusty started starcade in the pay-per-views but once that hulk hogan's rock and roll wrestling and wrestlemania got going and you had um your paul orndorff come in and rowdy roddy piper and all that it's just this wwf machine just consumed um, little kids like you and me, that's that's what we watched. And everyone wanted to be the Hulk of Maniac and, you know, say your prayers and take your vitamins and, and all that stuff. And it was just transcending like that. And I just think it's very, very, as much as I love Stone Cold Steve Austin and I loved his character, I just don't think you can pick anybody other than Hulk Hogan to win a heavyweight bracket for the 80s and 90s. I just think he was too dominant for most of the entire 20-year period through there. And really, in fairness to Stone Cold, as hot as Stone Cold was, his his reign in that this period was about three years, though it was red hot. I mean, red, yep. red hot. But he just didn't have the longevity in this period of time as Hulk Hogan. And even if you're talking about overall career, I still think you take Hulk Hogan over 
stone cold just based on longevity. But that being said, you know, Stone Cold, he was the reason why WWF survived. I mean, it, it was, well, he was so, so important because I think if that had not happened, you may not have uh, WCW out of business. Right. You may not. I mean, maybe you would with some of the creative that they had, but I mean, it's just, when that Stone Cold machine got red hot, it, it just kept getting hotter and hotter and then you had guys like the rock develop their game and come come better and Shawn michaels and triple h and it just it became a phenom and it just it ended the money night wars pretty quick so i agree with you hulk hogan comes over as our winner so let's let's diagnose it just a little bit further Mm -hmm. so you you made a very great point about hogan in awa let's Analyze that for just a few minutes. Hogan debuted in what, 78? I think so. 1978. So he went from a green rookie in 78 that was a free agent, basically, that, you know, which all of them were back then, that went from territory to territory. And he went from doing the 500 miles up and 500 miles back for $25 to making a run for the belt in AWA in 82, 83-ish. Mm. And let's let's give AWA props. In that time frame, AWA was right there with WWE. Absolutely. WWF, and possibly even more over than WWF in that era right there. And Hogan was running for the belt against Nick Bockwinkle and actually won the belt and got it taken away from him on a technicality. Mm-hmm. Hogan was already pushing the limits of, of popularity. Hulkamania was already started there. I think they were That's calling right. it Hulkamania in AWA. Yeah, they were. He had already started selling his own T-shirts, which he got into it with Vern Gagne over that. He got into it with Vern about going and making that movie, but Hulk made that decision to go ahead and do it, which was absolutely the right decision. So I'm saying all that to build up to this. You made the point that Hogan built really the WWF and and made it what it was. So for those that want to go over with Stone Cold and say that Stone Cold beats Hogan any day of the week and all that, would there even be a Stone Cold if it were not for Hulk Hogan? Well, it's interesting to have that debate about the territories because a lot of people say, and, and rightly so, all right, you think about WWF in the 80s, and they started cherry-picking all of these stars from the, the different territories. So you had them bring in Junkyard Dog from Mid-South. So there, there's your big draw um, out of the Mid-South area. Eventually, like, Ted DiBiase goes over there. Uh, so, you know, Bill Watts's territory down there, they, they lose their top draws. They bring in um, the Hart Foundation and the guys out of Stampede, out of, out of Calgary. So then you lose the Calgary territory. Um, who else? I mean, you you start just to cherry pick all these different guys, and then all of a sudden, AW. I mean, if you think about that roster of AWA, when they had Hulk Hogan, they had Jesse the Body Ventura, they had the Road Warriors, they had Bobby the Brain Heenan, one of the greatest minds and characters in wrestling history. Um, you had Mean Gene on that. I mean, basically that early 90s, or early uh, mid '80s WWF, the the characters and wrestlers, they were all coming from AWA. 
a, a large right. portion of them. The moon dogs came from there. Um, so some will argue and say, well, hey, because of Hogan doing this and then Vince cherry-picking all the different territories, then the territories just dried up. I mean, look at like world-class and things like that. And um, so there, there are a lot of people that they don't like that, and they're like, hey, if everyone had stayed in their territory, you know, maybe you could still have the the – the system going on today, you know, because world class was smoking hot and and all that. But at the end of the day, Vince McMahon was a guy who realized the fact, hey, this whole movie thing and rock and music and entertaining to the kids, that's what made that appeal. Because a lot of the wrestling territories, they were just appealing like to my grandparents' age or my dad's. They weren't really marketing to the kids or necessarily right. to the women. But you look at when WWF goes in there, well, then you got Hogan, this big... Um, strong guy, powerful guy, great body, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. I mean, my mother was a huge fan of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Yep. And it was because of his look. Then you had right. guys like Ravishing Rick Rude come in and stuff. So they just transcended what the look was. So, and and Hulk Hogan was the right guy because you got to have a guy with the charisma there. And I guess Flair, as much as I love Ric Flair, you know, he was dead set with Jim Crockett Promotions, and they were very popular down there and, and running great numbers with with Dusty Rhodes and, you know, the, the Horsemen and the Rock and Roll Express and Midnight Express, all that. But Hogan was this guy that he kind of liked the limelight. He liked going on Johnny Carson and liked going on David Letterman and all that stuff. And it, it just, the, the phenomenon just changed. And I I think Stone Cold was the right guy to do that in... um. WWE in the Attitude Era because at that time Hogan was a little bit older but you know as much as I like Bret Hart as a wrestler who we'll get into him next week I mean a tremendous wrestler you know he just didn't have the appeal that that Stone Cold character had to the folks like you and me the college kids who had grown up in the 80s and were big um, big fans but also kind of like blue collar from blue collar families and stuff, we could relate more to Stone Cold. I thought, right? I agree, hundred percent. So anyway, so Hulk Hogan is the winner of our '80s and '90s single bracket for the heavyweights. And next week, we are going to debate the what I would consider like a middleweight category. Scott, I think this podcast is. Gosh, we got to be going on four hours here. But I mean, we we just had a lot to talk about. A lot of good guys. Um, that needed the attention, but just to kind of give a preview of this singles match, uh, or th- singles bracket, we're going to have your Ric Flair's, your Bret Hart, your Shawn Michaels, Sting, um, all these great guys who are like 250, 260 and under, we're going to talk about the Macho Man, Jerry the King Lawler, Kerry Von Erich, Mr. Perfect, so it's going to be, we got a lot of tough matchups in, in this bracket, I mean, a lot of tough matchups, so I know I've been struggling with some of those picks, and I'm going to keep struggling through the week as I continue my research. But I think it's going to be a great debate. Yeah, I look forward to next week just as much as I did today, man. I love these these type of uh, episodes that we're doing. I know they're long. Uh, encourage the fans to take breaks in between or do whatever and just take a chunk at a time. Don't try to listen to all three or four hours at once. Uh, but definitely interesting conversation and uh, you know, just trying to – analyze you know why this person would go over this person and and things i think it's very interesting and i I think it's good history for a lot of people that are 
the casual fan that want to learn more or are or, or interested in knowing more. Right, and um, you know, it's also a good way for people to kill some time during the whole social distancing and uh, quarantine for the coronavirus. But, uh, you know, I do encourage a lot of the listeners, just like Scott said, I mean, a lot of these classic matches you can find on WWE Network. They have, like, all the old WrestleManias available, a lot of the old NWA pay-per-views. You can find them on YouTube. Um, a lot of great matches that you can still watch and see how things are different as uh now compared to the way it was back then and also the different styles because the style of wrestling in nwa wcw and like world class is completely different than than wwf i mean for those that like the more technical and the the mat wrestling and stuff really nwa and wcw was a promotion for you um along a lot you know those uswa and cwa matches with lawler a lot of good technical wrestlers there so well scott i appreciate you coming on the show um, we, we spent a lot of time on it, but I had a lot of fun. Hope you did as well. Absolutely, man. I love these, these episodes. Uh, they're some of my favorite cause we get to talk about the classics. Yep. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed listening to the podcast again. Uh, thanks for all the support we've uh, been receiving. Uh, we have really good numbers for our audience. We really appreciate that. Uh, you can follow us at uh, www.benandrodney.com. If you go under the podcast section, you can, uh, Check out not only this episode, but the library of episodes that we've had, including prior wrestling debates. And on um, Instagram, you can follow us at Ben Wilson Miami. So thanks a lot for your time. Hope you all enjoyed the debate, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a great week.